in Scream Queens, Horror Fiends, everything in between. It's Aubrey again, another episode of Killing Time. And I am, again, very humbled and blessed to have Robbie here with us again. And in fact, fun fact, we recorded this episode a couple weeks ago, um, but it kept dropping out and the audio was bad. So Robbie is a big enough horror fiend to come back and we're going to redo this episode because it was such a good one. Uh, This one's going to be 10 horror movies everyone should see. It's a great list. Um, these are underrated movies. These are ones like universally everybody should see and probably haven't seen. So, Robbie, are you there? I am there, my friend. How are you? I am doing very good. A little under the weather, but, you know, you've kind of coached me back to life, and hopefully <laughs> I don't sound too monotone or froggy to my audience, but you'll just have to carry like you always do when you come on here. Oh, come on. Not at all, buddy. Thank you for having <laughs> me on. Yeah. Well, again, Robbie, please... Um, Please tell everybody about your website and Instagram again, because last time I was rude and forgot to have you reintroduce that to the audience in case they didn't listen to us talk about the Halloween franchise, which if you haven't, what are you doing? Please go do. It's a great one. And we're going to do Scream closer to when the new Scream's coming out. Which yes. Be on the lookout for that. But exactly. Um, Robbie, please reintroduce. Tell everyone what you're doing. Please plug your stuff because your reviews are awesome and very thorough. Thank you, sir. Uh, yeah, I'm Robbie Horror. You guys can catch me on Instagram at Robbie, R-O-B-B-Y underscore horror, or you can go to RobbieHorror, all one word, dot com. I generally do film reviews of movies that I kind of wake up and I'm like, I want to discuss this movie or a new film, a classic that I feel like it should get more attention, which is kind of what we're speaking to uh, this evening. And on my website, it's more professional, more for uh, um, you know freelance work and stuff, but uh, my reviews you can see them at both mediums and you can contact me. And also on my Instagram, there's tons of funny memes and uh, tributes to actors that I enjoy and whatnot. So it's a lot, it's a huge dork fest basically. It's great people. There's a reason we connect so hard. We're so simpatico. Like we have the same type of humor and everything. My favorite (laughs) post as of recently, your Halloween costume this year is fucking awesome. Tell everyone what you're doing. Yeah, definitely. It's so fucking dope. People go check it out. He killed it, but tell everyone what you're doing. This is going to be me as the Countess, a la Lady Gaga, in season five of American Horror Story, aka Hotel. Yeah, it's and she really carried that season. I wasn't a huge fan of it, but I literally tuned in same. just for her as Countess. Yeah, same. Her and Dennis O'Hare. The the writing yeah. on AHS, I think we can even the fans of the show can really agree that after the f- maybe sixth episode, after the halfway point, it tends to kind of go all over the place. Crazy, but yeah. they all have at least. Uh, great performances or you know great design or something worth recommending yeah you know ryan murphy a lot of times um it's just like you said like you're watching six episodes in and then it just takes a weird left turn you're like what the hell like i think freak show was the last one i was like super invested in and that one kind of took a weird turn in the middle i was like okay like then i just casually watched and once i heard uh the queen herself lady gaga was going to be on hotel i definitely tuned into that and she did not disappoint nor did the vampires Oh, she was excellent. And you're so right about 
about Ryan Murphy. I think that's kind of a chronic thing with his. He's a, he's brilliant at getting attention grabbing ideas, and he comes in hot with each season. But but with you know, I think the American Crime Story, O.J. Simpson, yep. that was consistent. Sometimes he can really knock it out of the park, but it seems like they kind of make it up as they go. Yeah. So by the end, you forget what the initial story was. But yeah. Yeah, and anybody, if you guys don't know, in all honesty, I know the first season of American Horror Story is great, but Scream Queens, if you haven't seen that, is so hysterical. Awesome. Yes, it's so great. And Jamie Lee Curtis, Emma Roberts is in it. He, I mean, he's a he's a powerhouse. He's super smart. He super knows what he's doing, and he could probably you know tell us like what the metaphors and everything he's writing for are, or why he went. He can get any direction. any horror legend, anyone. He can get anyone into his shows. Yeah, so definitely go check out Scream Queens because it kind of flew under the radar because I think people were kind of getting Ryan Murphy fatigue. But definitely go check out Scream Queens because it it flew under the radar, but it's so funny. It is so great. It's kind of like um, it's kind of like the new generation's Rocky Horror, in my opinion. There's not like singing or anything in it, but it's like that tongue in cheek and everything. It's so great. There should be singing in it, though. There should always be singing. Well, yeah, they, yeah. Okay, they, there should be. Yeah. I think in the first episode, they sang Waterfall yep. by TLC. Yeah. But other you are than right. That, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ryan Murphy, Glee Mastermind. Yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> well, enough of a tangent on Ryan Murphy. See, we, we just love talking to each other, guys. We love you, Ryan. That, that's why Robbie comes on, because we just, you know, we just have too much fun. Um, but yeah, anyways, we're doing top 10 movies everyone top 10 horror movies everyone should see and i'll let you get into it but like as far as my list i'm not saying these are underrated movies i'm saying like these are powerhouse movies that like everyone should tune into and if you really consider yourself a horror fan you really need to tune into these because maybe they aren't as well known but they need to be and like they're really like tour de forces of filmmaking and you know i i'm very excited for you to get to share your list with the audience because Again, like I said, we had to re-record this episode, so I know a lot of Robbies, and they're so good. So. I was going to say, I feel like we've we've done this before. This seems yeah, very vaguely like familiar. Yeah, something about Ryan Murphy. Yeah, yeah. Deja vu. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I will say we had a funny running joke in the last one. Um, one of one of our favorite '90s movies, The Faculty. Um, <laughs> Robbie was talking about how it's edited for TV, and instead of him screaming "fuck," he screamed "fooey," and we could not get over it. It was just so funny. It kept coming. When, back when I least expected it, Aubrey would throw out yeah, "fooey," and I just lose my, I'd lose my notes, I'd lose my composure, I just lose it all. That's all I tried to do. <laughs> it was wonderful. We sneak some "fooeys" in there. Don't be like, "What the hell are they talking about?" <laughs> it's for our entertainment people. <laughs> So yeah, um, anything else like your list? How'd you come up with it, Robbie? Like, what were some of the criteria? And you know, are you excited to get into this list? Because I know you got some real deep cuts on here that are awesome. I am super excited. Now, this list came about just because, you know, over the last few years, the the sheer inundation of content with, you know, streaming channels, cable networks, all these different channels with just content pouring out everywhere, and it it I, I thought it'd be fun to kind of take a step back and look backwards to films that like you said, are not necessarily underrated. Like anyone who who comes upon them typically enjoys them and appreciates them, but they don't uh, pierce the conversation in 2021. Like from my vantage point, they, they should. And it's just movies that I think that I want to tip off people to just in case they have not seen them. I think that's a great, uh, great point. I didn't even think of that, but I know you brought it up last time too. Um, as far as the streaming services, yeah, it is really kind of brought in a new light to people and new audiences like myself for movies that you know we would have never known about. So it, it's a great, great point there. 
also i feel underrated movies in my opinion they're movies that surpass your expectations but still aren't like flawless there's still issues with it um, but you see past them because the expectations were smashed of what you thought it would be that's not these movies these movies are like technical like masterpieces in my mind um i don't know about your list but that's kind of like on my end i'm like man these things are like hard eights to tens like they're really good movies they're not just they're not just exceeding the expectations they're phenomenal works of art that need to be talked about more yeah, definitely. They're they're all very top notch in, in all categories, and even some that maybe were released around the same time as similar movies, but don't get the same recognition. Yeah, exactly. That's a really good point, and we won't waste any more time because I, since I kind of know your list, I almost pro- professionally transitioned into one of yours. So, um, <laughs> you know, as tradition, Robbie, you've been on here before. You're you're a friend of the show. Would you like to go first, or do you want me to start the list? Sure. Uh, let's see. Should I do my kind of honorable mentions and get those out of the way? Absolutely. Definitely. All right. So these are just a few films that I considered putting in my top 10, but they ultimately just didn't make the list. Uh, so we'll go down in the order of uh, release date. So that's 1932's The Old Dark House, 1968's Witchfinder General, 1979's The Brood, 1981's Just Before Dawn, 1983's Curtains, 1988's Pin, 2002 is The Mothman Prophecies, 2007 Sunshine, and 2015's They Look Like People. Um, the first movie on my on my actual list is Peeping Tom by Michael Powell, mm-hmm. um, released the same year as Psycho. Now, this movie is about a production assistant on a film studio. It takes place in uh, in England, and you know, like I said, he's a PA on a film set, but he moonlights as a serial killer, and he's got a tripod that with a retractable blade that he exposes and he murders women, films them, and then watches them after the fact. And I avoided this movie for a while just because I thought to myself, do I really want to see a guy stabbing a woman, women with a tripod for an hour and a half? Probably not. And I wasn't sure if there was more to the story, but there actually is quite a bit more to this one than I thought, because in this guy's apartment building, there's a young woman who kind of befriends him. She has no, obviously has no idea what he does, you know, after hours, but she takes a liking to him and an interest in his work as an artist. He's a photographer and she, and a filmmaker. And so she starts to befriend him and he kind of begrudgingly accepts and lets her in. And it's through her that we kind of see his depth and his, the reasons behind what, what he, why he does what he does. Yeah, it's it's a great movie, and you know I love that you bring it up um, because again, same year as Psycho. You know, everyone always talks about Psycho, Texas Chainsaw. Those were kind of like trailblazers for the slasher genre. This one just gets left on the cutting room floor. I have zero idea why. Um, probably because Alfred Hitchcock didn't do it, and he was such a big figure in the film industry. You know, at that time, like we talked about, there was no streaming and stuff, so you could really only go to one thing, and that's what the theaters were playing in that clearly was psycho because it's alfred hitchcock which there's no that's not a slight to psycho people i'm not trying to say like psycho sucks i'm not trying Mm. to say that but peeping tom you're doing yourself a major disjustice by not tuning into it it's a it's a uh english film isn't it it's british correct it's a british film and so it it just like like we said psycho is unquestionably in the top 10 horror movies of all time it's influential it's iconic it's terrifying um it's a product of its time. However, Peeping Tom, which incidentally was directed by Michael Powell, I don't know if I already said that, but it's 
I think it's just as scary and just as tense, even more psychologically complex because of the relationship that we form with this uh, primary character. Um, and it's not to get too into the subtext, but it's really, it's a movie about watching movies. You know, this guy, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as horror fans, we watch these films and we kind of get this visceral thrill out of watching these horrible things unfold on screen. And we have this objectifying lens between us and the characters and watching this film and observing the way that he watches his, his work after he's murdered someone, you kind of, you're thinking, Oh God, this is so horrible. Wait a minute. This is us. This is exactly how we perceive our, our, our scary movies. So I think that it was a little bit ahead of its time in terms of meta horror. And like I said, it's, it's a terrifying, there's a great scene that really quick. I didn't want to talk about where this young woman's mother who is, blind and she's been kind of uh, uh, observing him by proxy throughout the entire film and because she's blind her other senses can pick up his footsteps upstairs and she wonders about him and she has questions so she confronts him in his studio while he's watching a film of of a woman that he's murdered and obviously she has no idea what he's watching and she confronts him and says if you want to see if you want to continue seeing my daughter i need to know who you are i've got questions about you i need to know your motivations as right behind her, a murder is being projected. Yep. And it's a incredibly written, filmed, and acted scene, as they, as all the scenes in this movie are. But that one in particular uh, stood out to me. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, like you were saying, meta, like, uh, you could definitely tell, like, it's very, you could tell this influence Weft's craving because it's very, like, meta. It's very well thought out. It's very well written. Um, it's not just like oh it accidentally ended up being meta it was written that way it's not cheesy i know some people might be listening to this and like oh that sounds cheesy well yeah so does scream but like watch it you know what i mean like you just gotta watch the movie the meta works in it and robbie brings up some really good points if it kind of turns the camera back on yourself and you're like isn't this is what we watch and enjoy Mm -hmm. Uh, we just don't act out on it i will say another um movie and i don't know how you felt about this or if you've seen it um elijah wood's remake of maniac really gave me a lot of vibes from peeping tom i don't know about you but it kind of like i don't know the fact that it was just all filmed from his glasses and like he just had such a bloodlust and stuff i always like as soon as i watched that remake of maniac with elijah wood i'm like this thing reminds me of Peeping Tom for some reason. There is a grotesque beauty to Maniac, yeah. for sure. The remake in particular, not the original one, was a little bit rough yeah. around the edges and grindhousey. Yeah, yeah, and it's not sympathetic to that character. But with Maniac, you really, you literally get inside his, his head. And to your point, films like Maniac, Eight uh, Millimeter with Nicolas Cage, Sinister with Ethan Hawke, mm-hmm. uh, really take a lot of cues and uh, even shots and compositions from Peeping Tom. So yeah. if you like those movies with you know a lot of voyeurism and they have to do with you know film and camera and stuff like that, uh, you really should watch this one as well. Yeah, and again, it, it falls in the same vein of Psycho. Like it is an older movie from the 60s, but it doesn't feel dated. I don't know. Not at all. I don't I don't think it feels dated in any way, shape, or form. Kind of like Psycho, you know, you watch it and you're like, wow, this thing was made in the 60s. It's the exact same thing. It really does surprise me that not a lot of people know more about it. So it's a great number 10 pick. Thank you, sir. And what what is your number 10? My number 10. Um, mine is a horror comedy uh, with one of my man crushes, Ryan Reynolds. Not a lot of people know of it, but it's called The Voices. And this movie is, like I said, a horror comedy. And 
he is a very disturbed individual who works at a plant and he talks to his dog and cat and he has murderous instincts and he and when i say he ryan reynolds voices um the dog and the cat and his live action character and it's just so funny because the dog is such the angel on his shoulder telling him to be a good boy and don't do that <laughs> don't don't kill those people don't kill the woman you're going on a date with and the cat is so cynical and nihilistic and uh you need to kill them and blah 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 and this and that ryan reynolds man he is such a jack of all trades he kills everything he does it might be a bad movie i.e green lantern he does everything he can to make it good. He he never misses, in my opinion. He's kind of like the Drake of acting. He can kind of do whatever and just like always make hits. I've always been a huge fan of him uh, since Van Wilder and Just Friends. Like I know those are kind of like rom com type movies, but he does such good work, and he does an amazing job in this because he's so childlike, and he's so – he does such a good job of making you empathize with him. And then like we we're kind of talking about in peeping Tom and stuff, you're like, whoa, 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 I shouldn't be empathizing with this guy. He's, he's a murderer in that type of thing. Um, and then he starts to keep the body parts around, like talk to the body parts in his house. Oh my God. It's, it's great. It's, it's, it is funny. It's a, it's a jet black comedy. Cause there's written humor in it. There's some gory shit in it. And it's something that, not a lot of people would think Ryan Reynolds would do because it's kind of like an artsy movie, but it, it's really phenomenal and it's it, it's right up my alley and it's just so funny and beautifully done and like I said, you just feel so empathetic for him and like the people he starts to kill, like you start to be almost like, well, they deserve it. They're rude and mean and he's just this kind soul that you know can't take rejection. So it, it's a great movie. It is so funny. Um, just the voices and that he portrays as the dog and the cat um for some reason he gives his cat an like irish accent i don't know why <laughs> but here at ryan reynolds do is great if you're a ryan reynolds fan check it out if you're a fan of like ultra black comedy i.e like tucker and dale and that type of stuff you're gonna really like this because that's what this is or like cabin in the woodsy where it's like really dark humor pretty much like humor making fun of people dying that's this movie and it it kind of went under the radar because I think it came out like right before Deadpool where, you know, Ryan Reynolds has now been on this ascension um, uh, to major stardom that he should have had for a while because he's ultra talented. Well, damn it. Now I'm kicking, like you see in the weeks since we last did this episode, I didn't get a chance to watch this. And I, now I'm kicking myself because Ryan Reynolds is, he's great. He's supremely underrated. And that's the kind of role that he seems born to play. Yeah. Um, he really is an underestimated actor because um, I first became aware of him with like the rom-coms and like the kind of college humor Van Wilder and that stuff. But he was, I think the best part of the Amityville horror remake, which was not, yes. which, you know, just anyway, wow. but, um, yeah. but he was also great in the film called buried, which oh, is yes. essentially a one man show. He was fantastic. So that, and this sounds like another one that kind of hints at depth to him that we, I feel like he can still even go further Yes. And like, who knows what he's capable of? He, he just acts like a child. Like he never, he is so funny because like the way he talks to people, he's supremely kind and like always like trying to nurture and make people happy and that type of thing. But yet he has this instinct to just kill. So it's so crazy. The dichotomy that goes on within this guy's head, which you get to hear because i.e., his dog and cat, when he's using those voices, that's him talking out loud to himself. And one of the coolest reveals is, 
at the back end of the movie um when they finally find out what his real intentions are and stuff you never his house always looks clean and stuff um but as soon as like they come into his apartment it is filthy there's like animal fecal matter everywhere there's body parts and like the smell is disgusting so it's just another funny little thing like that that's like in his eyes everything's fine um but it's not uh nobody lives in situations like this and it, it's a phenomenal movie i think it's supremely underrated um especially for a horror comedy and like you're saying somebody that talented as ryan reynolds to take a role like this i i i admire it very much for him to go out on limb and he just kills it pun intended yeah i was gonna say i wonder if the, if the role was written for him because he does project that kind of friendly brotherly like Canadian energy. And when in the roles where that is subverted, like the roles that we, that we were talking about, that's his bread and butter as an actor. That's what he, uh, I hope he leans further into. Yeah. I, th- I think he's supremely talented. I love the Deadpools and really anything he does. He's is really good. He's going to give it his all. If the movie's a turd, it's never his fault. It's usually just because green lantern. That is true. Game. Yes. Green lantern, RIPD, you know, <laughs> uh, we can, we'll kind of, Oh God. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, the voices definitely go check it out. It's supremely funny. If anything, just to see the Ryan Reynolds performance in something this dark and this like horror comedy is just really fun, you know, because it's right before Deadpool. So it's kind of the same like tongue in cheek kind of dark humor. So I you could definitely see like his acting chops here because Deadpool is one thing to play a sarcastic asshole in a mask killing people. And I love those movies. But this one is just it's such a great movie and just so well performed. Well, I know you haven't seen it yet. I know you will tune into it, and you'll write me and say, God, I, I'm so glad you told me about that one. I'm like, why didn't I see this years ago, dude? What the hell? Bro, I, I'm a huge Ryan Rillo fan, like I said, and it took me a couple years to figure out about this movie. It was so under the radar. I don't know if he just fell in love with the role and just kind of did it for, like, no money because it wasn't really, like, put out there like that. It never I was going to say, it, it didn't, yeah, it didn't hit theaters. Like, what? Yeah, and it didn't Maybe even that's hit why. Like, our indie film theater here, which, I mean, I'm in Missouri, so we don't have a whole lot of selection, but it didn't even hit, you know, there. Um, so it kind of just one day, I'll be honest, this was a couple of years ago, it just randomly was at a red box. I was like, well, fuck, Ryan Reynolds is in this. And I watched it, I was like, holy shit, where did this thing come from? But, well, I think, you know, throughout, the, throughout both of our lists, there's instances where the rollout of a film played a huge part in it not getting seen for five, absolutely. ten more years absolutely absolutely well that is enough of my man crush on ryan reynolds (laughs) (laughs) what is your number nine my friend my number nine is another english film this one's from 1962 it's called burn witch burn by sydney hayers um and this is about a kind of oxford-esque uh college professor um he's you know got a good career he's getting he's in line for a promotion his students like him he's got a beautiful wife at home um, you know, his fact, the, his coworkers are a little bit jealous of him, but he's kind of on top of the world and he returns home to his wife and through circumstance discovers that she has been practicing witchcraft and he believes that it's too advanced to help him with his career. So being the man of the house in 1962, he kind of <laughs> makes her burn it all and comes to find out, unfortunately, that the spell was not to, uh, you know, advance his career, but to protect, but to kind of counter the effects of another witch. Now, who that is and why they're doing that, we don't know. Um, but I, this one is, like I said, it's a British film, so it's incredibly literate script, great dialogue, terrific performances, 
Um, just a really well done and kind of a darker twist on uh, the sitcom Bewitched, which I think uh, started up a few years after this one. So it's yeah. just an intriguing story and a tone that uh, I was not expecting. I This is definitely one. I don't know if you know. Is this streaming anywhere? I've kind of looked for it, and I haven't been able to find it. Because once you described it the first time we heard it, I was like, man, that sounds like right up my alley. And I just haven't been able to find it. It's actually on Shudder, and I, I misspoke. Okay. It's called its official title is Burn Witch Burn, but I, it's on Shudder as Night of the Eagle. Ah, okay, 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 cool. I, well, Why they changed down. it, I don't know. There is – well, I don't, I'm not going to give anything away, but, uh, you know <laughs> – but it's, it's eagle. It, uh, there's there's an eagle in there somewhere but um <laughs> but it's just a really uh you know it's about it's really it's ultimately about the husband and the wife and they're kind of it fortifies their bond but and the appreciation for one, for one another through this ordeal um and because throughout most of the movie they're kind of acting against a phantom they don't know who's doing this who's mm-hmm. trying to deconstruct their lives and there's a great scene where Tansy, his wife, uh, catches on to what's happening before he does. And there's like this thundering, you know, storm outside and someone is knocking at the door. And so Norman, uh, you know, just kind of being a skeptic and not believing that this is what's actually happening, you know, starts walking towards the door and she's pleading with him not to open it because she knows uh, that whatever's on the other side of it is not going to be good. And so it's just little scenes like that. Not a terrifying film, but just really smart, really well done. And like, like I said, just a unique spin on a formula that we've seen in comedies before, but never never quite like this. Awesome. Well, I like I said, I remember this one vividly when you were talking about it the first time because I had never heard of it. And I, I had been looking for it, and I, I just hadn't found it. Um, so I, I'm super excited to get into it. Um, sounds awesome. You don't have to spoil anything. Do we ever find out who's like coming at him? Like who's cursing him? You do find out. And whoever this actor is does a fantastic job selling the crazy. I'll, okay. I'll say that much. Okay, good. Because I, yeah. I just wanted to make sure because sometimes those older movies went with real ambiguous endings. And it's just, you know, I don't uh, – sometimes I'm just like, man, I spent 90 minutes here. Can we actually get some closure? So I'm excited to hear that. Oh, you, you'll see. There is absolutely no ambiguity here. Good, good, good. It's very, very clear. <laughs> I'm like, when, when you see it, you'll understand why I'm laughing, but yeah. <laughs> and so will the audience. They'll have to oh, yeah. check it out. So, Night of the Eagle on Shutter. I was going to say, Night of the Eagle or Burn Witch Burn, people. Go check it out. Well, I'm going to kind of pivot here because now that I'm looking at my list, um, I think I'm going to move a movie up and move one down. Um, hmm. I think I'm going to go with. I am number nine going to move People Under the Stairs, a West yes. Craven movie, is going to be my number nine. Um, that's not why I had it last time. Um, but I think the more I talked it out last time, I was, you know, and then all honesty, I think I'm putting it lower because as I do say, this is a movie everyone needs to see. It is a West Craven movie, so it probably has the most notoriety on my list. But also saying that, here's where, you know, it, it becomes super meta. It is a Wes Craven movie that most people don't know about, and it's some of my favorite work he's done. It's so good. Um, this movie, uh, I believe it was 91, early 90s. Um, Veen Rames was in it. It was. It's about these slumlords that own all these really horrible apartments that, you know, lots of African-Americans live in and are, again, slumlords, and they live in these horrible conditions. And um, one day... 
uh, kid and Veen Rames, who's awesome, break into the slumlord's house to try to like steal some rent money so they don't get evicted and come to find out they're worse than just being horrible human beings. They're um, trapping people in their basement, pretty much under their stairs. And they're like zombie people. Um, it, this is some of Wes Craven's most off the wall work, but I mean that in a beautifully awesome way. And it's just, there's so many creepy aspects of it from the people crawling around in the walls um, or the kid that had his tongue cut out. Like I can't get over him. I can't unsee him. Uh, there's just so many things of this movie I really like. And again, it's done by a great horror director and Wes Craven that again, not a lot of people really talk on this one. Everyone talks about, you know, scream night nightmare on Elm street, you know, last house on the left Hills have eyes. <laughs> this one kind of gets left off the list, which I don't really understand because I think it's phenomenal. It, it's a great movie and it's an outlier in his, uh, in his filmography. Yes, he I tends think that's to, why I like yeah. it so much. Well, I mean, cause the thing about Wes Craven, as we know, us horror fans, we really know that not only was he a top-notch filmmaker, but he was also an extremely sharp, uh, you know, philosopher. I think he was a socio, so he was some kind of he was a college professor, but um, mm-hmm. just incredibly sharp and always was was aware of what was going on in culture at the time, in politics, and he always found ways to factor that into his work. Yes. Um, and and probably not more so than this one because yeah. it's got a lot to do with socioeconomic conditions. Um, and it's kind of laced with a lot of black comedy, but mm-hmm. it's, you know, it's his kind of a uh, traditional great, great staging and mise-en-scene and, and camera work. And he just understands pacing uh, in a way that a lot of the other horror masters might not capture so successfully. Yeah. I mean, if you take this bonkers idea and give it to anybody else, it's probably a laughable movie. Well, hell, you can say that about almost any of Wes Craven film. On paper, Nightmare on Elm Street sounds like the dumbest idea in the world. But is it? No, it's great because you give it to a master artiste and he knows what to do and the direction to take it. Same thing here. And like you said, that is a great way of putting it. The the social economical commentary in this movie for being in the early 90s was very palpable. Like It wasn't like subtle in any way, shape, or form. It was very palpable and it's a very good movie. It holds up. Again, Veen Rames is in it, who's always fun. He's really cool. Um, there's a lot of, like, creepy stuff. And, again, the people under the stairs are just, like, I don't even know. They're somewhere in between a vampire and a zombie because they look undead like a vampire and they eat like zombies. It's crazy. There's, it's so much fun. <laughs> well, I mean, like, in addition to this one, there's also Serpent in the Rainbow. There's Red Eye. There's uh, even My Soul to Take, which is... Mm-hmm. Maybe not a great film, but he always he when he swung, he swung really, really big. And those yeah. are all great concepts for films. Yeah, even he's definitely you know he's definitely not gonna make the same movie twice. You know, he's definitely that not. is very true. I mean, unless it's Scream or Nightmare on Elm Street. But still, even those, like <laughs> we'll get into it when we talk about Scream. They're so different. Like every movie, one, two, three, and four, speak on something in society that are so different. They're not really the same movie, just kind of the same idea and they're not they, they, they have, they're speaking to different things they're commenting on the on different aspects of the genre they're talking about different aspects of film in general uh you know sequels trilogies remakes it talks about it all and uh yeah they all just have a very different feeling and a different objective so it never that's one franchise that never gets stale no never we'll see never. about next year but yeah I, yeah i'm i will say uh spoiler alert I am a little worried because this is going to be the first one since we lost West. that I'm not sure how it's going to be. I don't know. I'm going in with high expectations and I'm going in um, not 
like judging it already, but it's just it worries me a little. But eh, it's okay. yeah, if, if there's any team that I can trust to at least do it justice and do their best, it's Radio Silence. Uh, Ready or Not was a really accomplished horror comedy, and I think I think that they'll do a good job. Yeah, I'm I'm excited. I'm anticipating it. I'm very excited. So, but yeah, people on the under the stairs. Got to go see it. If anything, just to see Wes Craven's kind of like most out there movie, in my opinion. I don't know how you feel, but I think it's his most out there movie. I, I would agree with that assessment. Well, that's my number nine. What is your number eight? We're on your number eight, correct? My number eight is Lisa and the Devil from 1973 by uh, legend Mario Bava. Now, this 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 you know speaking of really wonky releases this one was you know back in 73 was making the rounds to like distributors something no one was really going for it but the exorcist had been released that same year it hit big so they're like well let's take this movie add an entire exorcism sub- subplot kind of cut around it and then release it as another film called house of the exorcism or house of exorcism or something like that and no one wanted anything to do with it it was a total flop and as a result, both that film and its original incarnation were kind of discarded. And it wasn't until 2007 that Lisa and the Devil, the original cut, uh, got seen on DVD. And it's about an American tourist named Lisa, played by Elka Summer, who is kind of, you know, she's touring with a group in this ancient city in Spain. She goes into a shop where an artist is making life-size dummies, and he's played by Tully Savalas, who was Kojak on television for, you know, a thousand years. Um, and she's, you know, kind of conversing with him. He's very intriguing but kind of creepy. She leaves to find that her group's abandoned her, and she's lost. She doesn't speak the language. She has no idea what's going on. She gets into a, you know, she gets picked up by, check this out, a an aristocratic Spanish family and gets whisked away oh. to their mansion uh, for the night before so that they can kind of figure out what to do with her. And this is a highly dysfunctional family. And I, where it goes, I honestly can't, I couldn't describe it to you if I wanted to. <laughs> um, no spoilers because I can't give you spoilers because this movie makes no sense, but it's really gorgeous and it's j- just kind of breathtaking in its artistry. And it's baffling, but it's really worth seeing. Yeah, I, this is definitely another one that um, as soon as you talked about it, I was like, this is right up my alley. Um, I haven't really been able, again, to find it anywhere, the Lisa and the Devil cut of it. So I, I don't know. Do you know, is it streaming anywhere that my audience and my dumbass can find? I think I could be wrong, but I think it's either on Shutter or on Tubi. Okay, okay. Uh, tubi I, for those who are not I, it, I can deal with some ads with tubi to deal see an awesome movie like this. they have an incredible horror collection like they actually just say, do yes that actually, it's really great that is no cap as the kids would say from Robbie. no cap. Uh, they, they, they do have some good ones and again people commercials aren't always bad sometimes you need to go pop some popcorn and you don't miss any of the movie sometimes you gotta go pee it's not they that tell you deal. exactly how long the break is yep. go take a piss go grab some yep. water exactly. you know get Crack grab the popcorn one. from the microwave and you're all set yeah it's it's not that bad and in, and in fact i think it only comes on like every 30 minutes or so so it's not like super interruptive of the movie but yeah to be it's totally free Tubi's totally free. Completely free. There's no gimmicks. There's no tricks. Just the ads. And the quality on the picture is pretty – it's pretty stellar. Yeah. Well, I'm going to have to look at that now or I'll fall down the rabbit hole of Tubi and watch some good movies on there. 
but I wish I could say I've seen it. I just haven't seen it, and it sounds awesome, though. Um, it's right up my alley. So, And you said, it was, what year was it made, you said? This is 1973. 73. Okay, perfect. Well, I, I wish I had more on it, to be honest, but that's why I love bringing you on here, Robbie, because when you say top 10 horror movies people should see, you're even enlightening me. So I, I know I got to bring my A game when Robbie's on <laughs> So I'm definitely excited to check that one out as well, too. Um, do you have anything else on Lisa and the Devil or anything? Uh, no, no, I would say that, you know, if you're a fan of David Lynch or kind of nonlinear, kind of hallucinatory storytelling, give this one a shot. It's not a traditional plot. There's enough information that you can kind of grasp what's happening. But really, it's as with Italian films with Giallo, it's much more about the style and the ambiance yeah. and the the feeling that it imparts to you rather than, you know, A to B equals C and all that stuff. It's more about a, it's more about an atmosphere than it is about linear storytelling, which actually is a perfect transition into my next movie. Um, My number eight is actually going to be Suspiria. Um, The original, the Jalo movie um, made by Argento. This movie, like, like we were just talking about with Lisa and the devil, it is just, What's the plot? I don't know. know. Like, (laughs) there's this dance cult and they're witches, and it is off the wall bonkers. The colors are beautiful in it. It's one of those movies you can turn off the sound and just watch and be enthralled with how beautiful it is. But yeah, like Robbie was just saying, it almost fits every category he was just saying. If you're a David Lynch fan or like Cronenberg or like anything where it's just kind of like a little weird and off the wall, or like if you like Jalo movies, of course. Says everyone knows Argento, and I think The Bird in the Crystal Plumage is probably his most famous film, but this is probably like my favorite of his just because they're all out there. Don't get me wrong, Argento films are all out there, but this one is like so far like acid trip fever dream out there, <laughs> even for Argento. That you know, I feel you have to watch this thing. Um, by the final again, 10 minutes, it goes yeah. haywire, <laughs> yeah, it's like. Yeah, it, you kind of have to check check your pulse to be like, am I like still alive? What is going on here? <laughs> am I on a stairway to heaven somewhere? The climax comes out of nowhere. You're like, oh shit, we're here already. Okay. Yeah, and speaking on it, I I, I know a lot of people weren't fans of the remake just because of how different it was. I love the remake. I don't know how you feel about the remake of Suspiria, but I thought the remake was phenomenal. I think the remake is is a masterpiece. I think I think it was one of the best films of that particular year. I think that was twenty eighteen. Yes. yes, it was. You know, I, I love Suspiria. Suspiria is one of those films where I, you know, it's not my favorite. It's not my favorite Argento. I love Crystal Plumage. Deep Deep Red is probably my favorite because they're they're good stories. They're good mysteries. Yeah, Suspiria is a lot more about just the experience of it. Just the experience of uh, the colors, the cinematography, the kind of. Uh, kinetic energy that emanates from it you know you you, you can't turn it off once you start it um and it's not a terribly long movie anyway but there's splashes of blood and color and and you know wonderful witch makeup and stuff like that and it's just incredible the remake takes the core ideas of the original and makes it more literal uh takes place in berlin during the cold war so there's more of a historical context um there's more i guess emotion to it there's more of a story Uh, a proper story but that might be the antithesis of what argento fans and fans of the original were looking for so i can understand why there's some sort of there is no way that a remake of suspiria could win because the original is again same as with psycho it's an essential horror film that whether you like it or not everyone should see it 
Yeah, it, and it is. And again, like Robbie's saying, it may not be your favorite or anything, but it definitely will live rent free in your mind because it is just one of those movies. It is performance art. Uh, and again, I think that's why I like the remake so much is because I love the original. And this one puts more of like what the story was trying to go for a little bit in the original. And it's it's just there's so many great actors in it, Dakota Johnson, Tilda Swinton, and um so the great more. Tilda Swinton, yes. Yes. If you ever want to see her play an old ass man, why she plays this old ass man in this movie. It's so funny once you know it's her because you can't unsee it. But you don't know it's her for the longest time until you watch the credits. You're like, oh, that old she ass can, man was she her. She can do anything. It's it's ridiculous. Yeah. It's it's a phenomenal one. And I will say the other thing is the original one, like you said, isn't that long. The remake is. Like it it, it takes its time. It's a slow burn. Some of the stuff is super graphic in it. But the only similarities I find is how fucking bonkers the Indians are. Like they, like both of them, yeah. The Indians are just off the fucking wall. Like they, they don't stop for cigarettes. They just go and go. And <laughs> that's go a good way to put it. It's just, it's nuts. Both <laughs> of them are just fucking nuts. And I think that's why the remake is so successful to me, and why I like it as art is because it does such a good slow burn to this masterful payoff. Um, so I, I'm all for like really long, slow burn movies as long as I get that payoff and boy, do you in this movie. So yeah, I, I would tell people if you haven't already seen the Argento one, I would probably watch the remake first and then watch the Argento one just because then you could almost not have to worry about the story or like the fever dream that you have just entered into. That's, that's actually a really good point. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's what I was going to say. I didn't know how you felt about it, but in my opinion, that's how I wish I had done it. Would you agree? I would agree. The remake has more meat on the bones, and the original has style for days. Where the re- the remake is a lot more, it's a lot chillier in its vibe. Mm-hmm. But the original, is so even though it's raining the entire movie, yeah. it's it, it has this like kind of you know hellfire heat that comes off yeah. of it with all the red and you know blues and stuff like that. It's crazy. It's it's great. So I mean, Suspiria. I mean, maybe again, maybe it's a movie a lot a lot of people have seen and known about. But in my opinion, it's one you definitely have to see. And a lot of people turn away from it just because they hear us talking about it. And they're like, "That sounds horrible." And you may find it horrible, but I will tell you, you won't forget it. Like you will not forget this movie at all. You, no one can forget Suspiria once you've seen it. Well, that Impossible. is my that is my number eight. We're on your number seven, correct? My number seven is The Entity from 1982. This is directed by Sidney J. Fury. Just, you know, want to put this out there. Trigger warning. There's some sexual violence discussion in this film. Um, It's about a single mother in California who is just, you know, working the grind. She's trying to, she's struggling every day, just trying to put food on the table for her children. Uh, She's just trying to make ends meet day to day. And then out of nowhere, one night, She's getting ready for bed, and then she is attacked and brutally raped by an invisible force. And that alone is horrific enough, but the film follows her as she tries to convince her children, convince her friends, and then convince, you know, doctors, scientists, the authorities of what's happening to her. And And that's not even the scary part. The scary part is that in between all of that, it keeps happening. Um. And this is another one similar to Peeping Tom where I read the synopsis and just for years I thought, how could anyone do a film like this with a plot like that that's without it being gratuitous or, you know, smutty or something like that? But 
the way that they film it and the way that Barbara Hershey performs it, who's brilliant and it's an Oscar worthy performance. Mm -hmm. uh, it's, I wouldn't say tasteful is the right word, but it's incredibly respectful of that lead character and her experience. Um, and I think that I was, I saw it just earlier this year and I was blown away uh, by just the sheer intensity and power of it because even now in the year 2021, in the era of Me Too and Time's Up, um, witnessing this film, I was vicariously overcome with the note, with the, just what I know countless women and, you know, even men have been experiencing since time eternal, which is, you know, this harassment, uh, sexual assault, rape. And then on top of that trauma, the, the uphill climb of getting people to believe you, yeah. you know, so it's, it's an incredibly um, powerful film. Yeah, I def I checked this one out um, because again, the way you described it and everything, I was like, I, I have to check this film out. And I am a massive Barbara Hershey fan. She can do no wrong. She is so beloved in the horror industry. So I kind of wanted to see her in a lead role. Um, so I checked this one out, and he is totally correct. Um, how ahead of its time this movie was, and it kind of goes parallel into one of my other movies that we'll get into on the list. Um, I think this one was a little more powerful. Um, just because the other one was more of like a a fear of being sexually assaulted. And this one is, you know, it's the, what a metaphor for nobody believes me or anything. It's all victim blaming and everything like that. It's, it's a phenomenal movie. It's a powerful movie. And like you said, unfortunately, it still resonates and is still very, uh, um, very... What do I it's, want to say? It's so it's it's still timely. Yeah, that's that's which is like sad. you said, really that's, unfortunate. Yes. Um, and it's even more resonant now. I think that we've had the catharsis of having that that box cracked open, and now it's much more of a conversation now. Yeah, but it is a great movie. It is like like um like Robbie saying, this is not I'll spit on your grave like sexual assault just to put no, it in not there. at all. It's not smutty or anything like that. It is done in a classy way. Um, it is intense. I will say that as much too. So the trigger warning is definitely true. This isn't also one of those things where we're being like PC snowflakes or anything like that. It's an intense movie. It for sure is. Um, but does it need to be watched? I think so. I think it's one of those movies that has a tough, a tough thing to tackle, but you need to talk about that stuff. Um, you need, you need to have those opinions out there and you need to let people view this movie to almost in the same way the movie Get Out kind of opened the eyes to a lot of white people of how black people feel in yes. America, it's the same here. It kind of opens your eyes to like the metaphor of being assaulted in that way and no one will believe you and it's all your fault and you're just crazy. And it, it, it's it's sad that it's still a thing, but it is and it's a very powerful movie. That's so true. Art is a great way to kind of encapsulate pain, experience, trauma from someone that it could be completely different than your own lived experience, but receiving it this way, yeah. like, like same thing with get out, it allows you to kind of just have, have that much more compassion for people who have been through that. Oh, yeah. Um, and it's just an incredible movie. And you, like you said, really ahead of its time. I can't even imagine what people seeing that in 82 were, were thinking. Yeah. And that's, that's another thing I was going to say is like in 82, my word, you know, that was back in the day where I was like, if that did happen, you shut your mouth about it. Like, you know what I mean? And so it's definitely one of those things that 
I, I thought it was a very powerful movie. And again, like I said, it was almost sad in the fact that it was like the fact that it's still relevant, you know, and it's still the narrative needs to be spoken out there. But, you know, it's a great movie to kind of, you know, talk about it in a way that and present it to people that if you're if you have those point of views and stuff might, you know, change them or like help you empathize a little bit. Definitely. And may we someday get to a point where it is not. Oh, absolutely. Not a I, thing. I totally agree there. So, but yeah, uh, it, I, it's a great movie. It, it's great to be on this list. I know I keep everything kind of lighthearted on the podcast and joke a lot, but people, you know, be kind to each other. Take care of yourself. If you ever need help or anything like that, reach out to somebody, you know, don't, don't try to do it all by yourself. It's, it's impossible. And today in today's world and everything to try to do stuff by yourself, reach out, find a good network and get yourself some mental health help. Okay. Here, here. Yeah. So that that's my soapbox people. So I'll get <laughs> off it. Cause like I said, I know I kind of keep it lighthearted on here, but this movie really did kind of speak to me in a really profound way. So I, I thank you very much for tuning me into this movie. I will say if there's a movie on this list that everyone I think should see, it's probably this one because I think it's the most powerful um, movie and it kind of, you know, uh, again, has a bigger picture in mind. So definitely check out the entity. It was phenomenal. So thank you, Robbie, for bringing it on. My pleasure. Well, we are on my number seven, correct? Yes. Mm-hmm. See, I switched a couple around. And on my <laughs> list, yes, it's my number seven. Okay. All right. <laughs> this one is the most recent movie on my list. It was kind of a, it was a uh, pandemic casualty, unfortunately, or fortunately for me, because I'll be honest, I wouldn't have gone and seen it in theaters because it looked cheesy. It looked bad. I knew nobody in the movie, but this is, I think it's 2020. Yeah. 2020 is the empty man. I love this. Yes. This thing is so good. This is the movie I moved up on my list because the more I talked about it, I was like, how did I put this low? And I need to get it out there and let people know. The Empty Man people is so good. It's, it is long. It's a marathon, but it does such a good job of building the lore of the Empty Man. There's so many creepy scenes in it. The first half of the movie plays like a David Fincher, like cop drama movie. And then it takes a wild right turn in the middle of it and goes off the rails in such a good way. And, you know, it's all about there's like a cult and everything of the Empty Man. It, I'm telling you, I I had no expectations for this. I would have never paid money to go see it in theaters, but it just happened to hit streaming. So I was like, yeah, why not? I'm stuck inside and I'm sick of Tiger King. Um, and so, <laughs> and so, so here we go. And I turned it on and at the end, my jaw hits the floor. I was like, that was awesome. That was so good. Not only does the first half play like a cop drama, the first like 30 minutes is like this like adventure horror that these people get trapped in the mountains. And you're like, what is going on? So I think it's a beautiful movie in the fact that they let the director and writer and stuff be creative, take the time to build an aesthetic, build a, to- a timeline and tell the story without trying to rush it and just let them be creative. Because I, I think it was I think it was universal. It was done by a major production company. It wasn't just like a one off that, you know, just happened to be made. It was done by a big company that usually has their hands in on everything and usually ruins great movies like this. Um, but yeah, Empty Man caught me off guard in the best way possible. I heard you kind of sing its praise. I'm assuming you've seen it too, Robbie. I did. And I also saw it during the pandemic. I'll tell you what, shout out to Chris Stuckman because he released a video kind of talking about it and, you know, yeah. just encouraging people to go see it because it did not 
get any traction. Like no one saw it. Critics were not, were kind of split on it. And it was his endorsement alone that made me say, well, well, if he, if he likes it, I should probably, and I would say that the opening, first of all, the opening scene, which is more like the opening 30 minutes is that alone is breathtaking. Yep. Um, it's almost, it could almost be like its own, you know, kind of contained short film, uh, similar to scream, like, you know, before, even before we get to the credits or the opening title, you're just, your mind is blown. And like you said, afterwards, the plot takes so many left turns that you're not even sure where the hell you are. It changes genres and it, it, it's like this kind of rabbit hole that you keep going further down. And it's so refreshing and jarring to kind of see this, you know, long horror movie that that seemingly no one in the uh, no one. production or distributing stage touched. They were like, just yeah. go and do it. Yeah, they were just like, here's some money. If you can make it happen, make it happen. And boy, did they. I think the best thing about this movie, and especially all the, like, you were talking about left turns and, like, just jarring ways the narrative changes, is you literally feel like you're going through it with the lead character. Because... If we're getting to the actual story, he's an ex-cop that's trying to help his neighbor find the daughter that ran away or is missing. So he's trying to find her. And the further he looks and the closer he gets to her, the crazier it gets. So you are simultaneously going through this maddening process as he is too. You're just as confused as the main character. And it's such a fun ride in that in that sense. I think what happened was that, you know, like in years past, we got, what was it? Bye Bye Man, The Pale Man, The Slender Man, and they they were all just total garbage, you know, frankly. So when this one came along, I was like, well, God, we get another The Blank Man. It's like, all right, well, what's this one about? And the plot, just like the pitch line, just the sentence of what it's about, does not inspire too much confidence. Like you said, it, it seems like the sort of standard police procedural meets urban legend kind of thing but it's the execution and it's the unfolding of the plot that Mm -hmm. is really something to to behold and there's also a scene and i want to say it's maybe two-thirds in no spoilers it but it takes place in total silence and it is one of the scariest things that i can remember seeing in a in a contemporary horror film yeah, it's it's so great. I, I don't know if we're speaking about the same one, but if it's where he goes to the cabins in the middle of the woods. That's exactly it. Yeah, exactly. And here's the scariest thing. Um, shout out. One of the reasons I probably also love this movie is like a lot of it took place in Missouri. Yay, yay. That's where I'm from. So <laughs> there's a lot of creepy cabins like that here. And my happy ass is not going anywhere near those things. So, yes, that is terrifying to me that that shot, too. It's 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 phenomenal. It like and not only does like the narrative change but like the tones and the cinematography change along with it like the first part of the movie is all winter and all cold and then it cuts to this cop ex-cop guy and neighbor and like everything's like these dark blue tones it's very david fincher-esque feels like the girl with the dragon tattoo like that type of viewing and then like the further it goes on, it starts to turn to black and like darker it's it's just crazy that every time there's a tonal shift in the movie it's not only like the narrative that gets changed. It's like the cinematography and everything gets changed. It was, it, it, man, it really knocked my socks off how much I love this movie. Definitely. And similar to Lisa and the devil and other films that we were talking about, far be it for me to explain what the hell happens in this movie. I'm still <laughs> not sure if I understand it, but it's, it's an experience. And by the end, you really feel like you've been taken through a journey 
that an artist it, and it comes to you the way that the artist meant for it to be seen. And I that's say, so cool. I will say, I apologize for kind of cutting you off. No, no. But I will say I rewatched it and it's almost better the second viewing because you pick up on so many things once you know what the ending is and where we're heading. There's a lot of stuff you pick up on. It is, it's almost better on the second watch, which I understand people's kind of hard because it is a marathon of a movie. It's long. It's not short by any way, shape, or form. But the second viewing is almost better, in my opinion, which is crazy to think. But that just speaks to how technically great this movie was. In that case, I will have to watch it again for sure. You do. You do. I mean, it's again, it's a long movie. One of the reasons I stuck around for it's nearly two and a half hour, three hour runtime. I think it's because because it was the damn pandemic. Yeah, where yeah. are you going? I mean, you're stuck inside, and I was, I, I was <laughs> no, or that's where you're going. Sick <laughs> of bleached mullets and Tiger King, like I was saying. So <laughs> I had to watch something else. Yeah, and it, this was the you know silver lining to the pandemic was seeing movies like this that never had a shot um, of getting recognition, and this was definitely one of them. So yeah, it will it will evoke. I'm sorry, God. No, I was just going to say it's number seven for me. It will invoke what? What's that? No, it, no matter what you think of it, it will evoke a reaction, which yeah. so so few contemporary horror films can say. That's a great point. It is one of the most original horror movies I've seen in the last decade. I, I mean, if we did most original movies in the last decade, it would definitely be on my list somewhere, probably in the top three. Because the way it builds the lore of the Bye Bye Man and the way it like just corresponds with the story itself. I said the Bye Bye Man. God damn. I just <laughs> jump off a cliff, man. <laughs> Um. Yeah. Don't watch the Bye Bye Man. Yeah, Fooey. That's where. That's where you do it. Fooey. That's not. That's not what I meant. Empty Man. The way they built the Lord, the Empty Man, everything like that. The Bye Bye Man's Fooey. It doesn't even get the f bomb. It gets Fooey. It gets the junior high f bomb. But yes, it's it's phenomenal. I can rant and rave about it all day, but please go watch it. Um. I wish I would have posted this before Labor Day because I was about to say, you have a long weekend coming up. Be sure to check it out. But yeah, <laughs> definitely go check it out and you'll you'll be pleasantly surprised. So so that is my number seven. We are on your number six, sir. What is your yes, number sir. six? Yes, sir. All right. So this is Night of the Creeps from 1986, Yay. my birth year, incidentally, by uh, Fred Decker. Now, this movie, it's really hard to describe. I'll tell you, kind of, you guys who haven't seen it how it kind of starts picks up in the late 50s it's kind of you know it's got the old school rock and roll it's black and white there are these two gorgeous you know college you know this gorgeous college couple they get into the car they're going to go out of town kind of by the woods and make out a little bit they keep ignoring these radio announcements on their car about a recently escaped mental patient who's got who's armed with an axe of course and you know while they're making out they, this comet kind of this space something lands in the woods next to him. So, of course, the the brawny uh, jock with his uh, with his was a cardigan. <laughs> I think so. The, whatever yeah. that the college the college yeah, Letterman jacket. Yeah, sorry. Uh, he goes over to check, and the you know the girl's like powdering her face and stuff like that. So there's two things happening. Number one, he goes, and a parasite jumps out of this, you know, kind of whatever landed from sky, and it, it goes into his mouth. And that's happening. While at the same time, the mental patient with the axe has found the girl. Flash forward to the 80s, and we are now seeing the fallout of those events with another group of co-eds. This movie is almost impossible to describe. You really have to go see it. Absolutely. Um, 
it reminds me, I was reminded of a uh, psycho gore man, which came out this past year, which I was not a fan of because what night of the creeps does so well is it balances the laughs and the scares and it has extremely appealing characters and it's got a lot of heart. Um, but on top of that, it's just a great fucking time. And you have Tom Atkins who plays, yeah. I think one of his best roles, I think it's actually his favorite role in film that he's ever done. He plays this hardball detective who uh, is kind of on the case and he's trying to figure out what the hell's going on. And uh, his catchphrase is thrill me. Yeah. And it's that's it's it. instantly me. iconic. Yes. It's great. Tom Atkins is amazing. Um, again, we talked about Tom Atkins doing, you know, season of the witch. Um, but this movie is just dripping with like 80 campy nostalgia. It reminds me a lot of it's in the same vein of like uh, dead alive by Peter Jackson or um, return of the living dead uh, with the punk rock zombies. It's like just so much fun. Like, and that's exactly what this movie is. There's, there is no short of like laughs and just memorable scenes and performances that are just so campily great. Uh, campily, I guess I just made a new word. Campy and great. Um, but yeah, it's it's a phenomenal movie. It's so much fun. I haven't seen it in a long, long time. Uh, it was one of the movies that my parents would actually let me watch because it was, you know, quote unquote, kind of like a horror comedy. But it, it, it is very good. I remember enjoying it. I think last time I saw it was probably four or five years ago. But it, Robbie's right. It's kind of hard to describe. You just have to watch it. Do you like 80 Campy's movies that has Tom Atkins wanting to be thrilled? There you go. That's all you need to say about there you it. Go. And if you have seen, if you guys have seen Slither from t- 2006, yeah, I want to say, yeah, if point, you've seen yeah. Slither, Slither would not exist without Night of the Creeps. Absolutely. They yeah, share absolutely. a lot of the same DNA. Yep. They very well do. That's a great point. I didn't think about that, but I do really enjoy Slither too. So that's a really good point. Yeah. Well, Night of the Creeps, number six for you, correct? Yes. All right. You ready for my number six or you need uh, anything else? It. All right. You're supposed to say thrill me, but okay. Oh, thrill me. Foolish. <laughs> My number six um, just got beat out by The Empty Man. It's another new movie. It's a Shudder original, which I whore myself out for Shudder all the time. Their originals are so good, and I love Shudder so much. It is, oh, man, I love Shudder. But this original might be my favorite. There's a couple others I really like, um, including Spiral, which is Spiral so good. But uh this is anything for Jackson. This movie mm. is so good. I I don't know. I again, it's kind of hard to describe. It literally jumps right into it. There's no there's real the way the storytelling's done, it's almost like it jumps into the action and kind of backtracks you like beautifully without slowing the story down or bogging it. Literally the opening scene is this old couple just enjoying breakfast and talking about stuff. And then all of a sudden they go, oh, she's near. And you're assuming it's like, oh, probably their daughter or like granddaughter or something like that. No, then they go outside and the camera hasn't moved. And then you just see them dragging this pregnant lady into their house, you know, kicking and screaming. And then you come to find out, okay, here's the plot. And the plot is they kidnap this pregnant lady because they lost their grandson. And they're trying to use black magic to put their grandson into her pregnant you know her fetus and make it their grandson to be reborn jackson it is nuts of a concept it is so original it is so creepy uh there's so many great twists in this movie um 
this is another one like the empty man caught me so off guard on how much my jaw hit the ground. I was like, Oh my gosh, it's so good. There's so many memorable scenes. There's so many creepy aspects to it. And again, the rails start to go off because again, people black magic usually doesn't go the way you want it to. And they start to summon something that's a little more maleficent than, uh, just trying to put a baby into this pregnant lady, which if that already doesn't sound fucked up enough, um, and again, the other crazy thing is uh, we talked about it last time we were talking about the fact that you empathize with these this old couple that like kidnapped this pregnant lady is crazy. But you really do start to empathize with them. And it's it's just a phenomenal movie. It has a lot of heart, a lot of really rememberable scenes, i.e. the snowblower scene. Um, <laughs> you just got to check this thing out. Like if you haven't yet, you're going to be it's such a fun ride it's it's a slow burn but it's not so slow burn like hereditary it's nowhere near as long as hereditary and there's a lot more like memorable scenes throughout it and the ending's great story's great the acting's great it's original i i can't sing its praises enough no this is a fantastic movie i would i think just off the top of my head it's it has to be one of the top three uh, Shutter originals. It, like you it said, so so original, so unique. Big swings in terms of where the plot goes, the yep. tone that it takes. Um, Sheila McCarthy and Julian Richings are two phenomenal character actors, and this is uh, it's a great vehicle for both of them to really star as this couple who, like you said, in the first minute, uh, kidnap a pregnant woman and tie her down like misery style, yeah, and you're yeah. just like, what the hell? Like it throws you right into it. And the greatest trick that the movie pulls is that halfway through, you really start to understand why they're doing it. Yeah, um, exactly. And you don't, you don't judge them as harshly. And of course you may not agree with what they're doing, but the great thing about, about film and storytelling is you empathize with other viewpoints that you normally wouldn't see eye to eye on. Um, and like you said, they get a lot more than what they bargained for. And throughout the film, part of the, some of the black magic that they're using invites other spirits and demons in and, yep. Those are incredibly memorable feats of makeup and, in one instance, a contortionist. Uh, yeah. And it's extremely unsettling. And it's just, it's funny. It's weirdly emotional and it's freaky. And it's just, just, it's another one that you will not forget. And I yeah, think I've... it's since that this one dropped, very, very few movies since. Uh, since that, I think that was late last year. Very few can measure up to it for me, in my opinion, for this year. I, I agree. It, yeah, it was a 2020 film. I couldn't remember if it was 19 or 20, but it, yeah, it's a 2020 film. And yeah, there's a couple scenes. The two scenes that stick out to me most in my mind are the snowblower scene because it was out of nowhere and I didn't see it coming. And then the trick or treat scene with that ghost. I don't know what it was about that creepy scene where every door she opens that little ghost with his pails there like trick-or-treat and it's just creepy um the contortionist is very close third like just the way the body movements are on there it's like ah but yeah this this movie you know how much they pack into it being a 90 minute movie is pretty nuts to be honest yeah it's a pretty uh, swift swift yeah, movie especially for how they tell the story with it being technically quote-unquote non-linear in a sense because again like like robbie and i are saying you jump right into the plot and then there's little breadcrumbs to hint why this is happening it's very slick very slick movie shutter puts out some great stuff but yeah this is no doubt a top three original they've done and I love it. And I've probably watched it three times since it's come out. I just love everything about this movie. I, yeah. Likewise, I've seen it a few times and it's just a really 
really accomplished horror film. Yeah, exactly. Well, anything else on anything for Jackson? Huh? Anything else? Love it. Everyone should see it. Yeah, exactly. Number five for you, Robbie. Number five is Cherry Falls. This is from 1999, directed by Jeffrey Wright. And it takes place in the small uh, town of you know Cherry Falls, the titular town, where uh, a woman in a trench coat and, a, and long black hair is you know, slashing her way through self-professed virgins, male or female. And the students kind of pick up on this and take it upon themselves to, in the climax, uh, stage a kind of school-wide orgy uh, to avoid being killed. Uh, there's a lot of subplots kind of weaving in and out of that, but that's the the pitch line that I can give you. Um, and this yeah. movie was, I believe, intended to do a theatrical release, and then they were having trouble with distribution and with censoring so they just i believe they cut some stuff and just aired it on usa the usa channel and that's kind of where it languished until more and more people wanted to see it on dvd and then it i believe it's on blu-ray but i'm not entirely sure but, yeah um, this is definitely one i want to check out with the late great Brittany murphy um when we first talked about i was so shocked i hadn't seen this movie because again like you said a movie from 2000 starring Brittany Murphy, and it's like right up my alley of like early 2000s, like slasher type movie, and I hadn't seen it or even heard about it. Blew my mind. So I still have not got to see it. Um, like I said, I still haven't been able to find it anywhere, um, but I'm super excited to because it sounds amazing. Um, yeah, I don't see how that plot would work on cable TV. <laughs> So yeah, I yeah. I was like, really? This is on television? What? Yeah, that's no why sense. I could definitely see. Yeah, this is. We're going to show you know kid orgies, but we can't say fuck. We have to say fooey. You know. The, well, How's the orgy, the orgy itself is you know strategically filmed, and you know it's. It, it, I'm more surprised about the violence that gets censored, but you know, yes, this was released only if, like I think three. It was filmed about three years after Scream, and so there are other films like The Faculty and Final Destination around the same time, which I think are more ambitious narratively, but this one kind of, it takes a different approach. It has that kind of small town creepiness of something like, I know what you did last summer, like really polished teen thrills, but it adds like the psychosexual aspects of something like Dress mm-hmm. to Kill by Brian De Palma. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. It's, it's one I, I haven't been able to find, but I've been really looking for it i'm probably just end up biting the bullet and like buying a copy like a used copy somewhere because i really want to see this thing i really do it sounds like right in my wheelhouse you know like everything horror is but this is really my wheelhouse people so and again rip to the great Brittany murphy she was very talented a beautiful soul and she is sorely missed to be honest yeah she is she had she was a powerhouse personality on screen oh for sure you know she just had that presence and that she, she had something. I, I do miss her. Yeah, and who would have thought that from Clueless, you know, that she would end up being that because she was kind of pegged as the ugly. She was the wallflower, player. yeah. Yeah, exactly. But she was great in that, and she did so many phenomenal roles, gone too early. So um, she's dearly missed. So I'll, I'll be very excited to watch Cherry Falls. Um, I, I, again, I'm sorry I haven't seen it, so I can't really talk too much on it. You got anything else on it? Um, no, that, that was pretty much it. Cool, cool. Uh my number five, my number five, kind of going back to, um, I was talking about a little bit earlier when we were speaking on the entity. I don't think this one's as powerful as the entity. Um, this one is made by a great artist, piece of shit human, but a great artist. Um, it's repulsion by Polanski. 
Um, this movie is so good, and <laughs> it does irritate me that it's a Polanski movie because it's very hard to separate the art from the artist. Um, but if you are okay with doing that, um, this is my favorite Polanski movie. It beats out Rosemary's Baby. Um, I think it's a little more simpler and a little more like drawn down. And it's a there's there's beauty in the simplicity of this movie. And no matter how big of a piece of shit Roman Polanski is, um, he's a great director. Uh, I I have to give him that. Um, this movie is about a woman who is terrified of being objectified or terrified of the thought of intercourse, and it just drives her batshit insane. And this movie for coming out in the 60s was, if you thought Rosemary's Baby was pretty provocative, this one was, you know, because this preceded it. Uh, not preceded, I think that's the wrong tense, was before it. Um, it, it was very provocative um, to have that idea of like a woman having the right to her body and not wanting a man to have to take advantage of her or anything like that. It, and there's so many slick aspects in this movie. Um, like every time she's in the apartment it's like every time he makes the hallway a little thinner and a little longer it's one of those things you don't really notice till by the end of the movie you're like holy shit that hallway is so fucking long <laughs> and it's just like shit like that like he just toys with your mind it is such a psychological masterpiece um the acting is phenomenal i, I don't know if you've seen repulsion um, but I, I'm a oh, big yes. fan of the, I'm a big fan of this movie, and like I said, it does stink that you know it is a Polanski movie because it's sometimes hard to separate the artist and the artiste. But uh, it's it's a great movie. It's nearly flawless, and like I said, it's my favorite Polanski work. Yeah, no, it's tricky when we're talking about filmmakers like Roman Polanski or Victor Salva, yeah. any number of pieces of shit that it's it's really just it's awkward to kind of reconcile their artistry and what they've given to our genre that we love so much while at the same time acknowledging their, you know, considerable shortcomings as, as people. Um, but repulsion is, I, I would probably place Rosemary's baby right above it, but it is a masterpiece of, uh, of paranoia and kind of virtuoso filmmaking. Like you said, just even the subtlety of the length of the hallway, the yeah. tricks with the mirrors, yeah. uh, one of the great jump scares of all time. Yeah, I was yeah, going to get to yeah. that. Every time it gets me, there's there's one part Robbie's alluding to. Um, she has a bit, I think it's like a closet door mirror. Like the whole mm -hmm. door's a mirror. And she closes it and there's just somebody behind her. Like you don't even see it coming at all. And the paranoia, it's just like that manifests in you watching this thing. I mean, even the opening scene is such a mind fuck. You think there's this dead body and it's like somebody, like a coroner or something looking at this dead body and stuff and then it like zooms out and she's a you know esthetician doing nails it's like it's a mind fuck of a movie and like just from the jump stuff like that polanski is just like toying with you this one walks so rosemary's baby could run i mean rosemary's baby's technically his best movie i i, I won't argue there it's technically it's probably the best writing it's probably the most original this one's just my favorite because it was just so like bare bones and like he didn't have the money yet and like really pushed himself artistically to make this movie so i don't think it's his best movie he's made it's just my favorite i would say rosemary's baby is his best movie he's made and they he got incredible performances out of yeah. mia farrow and rosemary's baby in this case uh the great catherine deneuve yeah. um who it's essentially 
you know, it's her from start to finish and she's just, she holds the screen like the pro that she is. Yeah. Legend. Or, or one of those scenes, like, I think it's her, um, her roommate's boyfriend's there and she like goes into the bathroom and smells his razor and becomes like visibly ill. Yeah. It's a razor, isn't it? Yeah. It's just like, I don't know. It's just such, I don't even know. Even the score is just so off putting and just weird and awkward and like, it's just one of those movies that makes you sweat when you're watching it because it's so goddamn uncomfortable, and it's it, it it's a great movie. Um, again, I won't speak too much on it because again, it's kind of hard, like you're saying, to you know separate the artist and the artiste. But it, I think it's a technically great film. So if you can get around that and want to watch like a mindfuck of a beautifully done black and white movie, here you go. Repulsion's it for you. And to that end, uh, there's also a film by Mickey Keating. I think it was five, about roughly five, maybe 10 years ago called Darling, uh, filmed in black and white. Very, I would say do a double feature of those. Oh, okay. Propulsion and Darling. Darling. Very, very similar. Hmm. I will have to check that out because if it can scratch an itch for what I'm trying to watch with Propulsion uh, and I don't have to support that piece of shit, I'm, all, I'm here for it. So it's just sad because, again, like we talked about, Unfortunately, that piece of shit's attached to it, but you know, there's so many people that did so much hard work and good work in it that it's like, at what point do you not want to punish them? You know, um, but yeah, it's yeah, I think it's a great movie. I think it still holds up really well for being a movie in the '60s and being in black and white. So it absolutely does. It relies on great acting, yep. very simple filmmaking, no you know special effects, nothing crazy. It, it's aged really beautifully. Yeah. So Repulsion is number five for me. Number four. For my amazing guest, Robbie, what would that be? <laughs> Number four is from 2001. This one's Session 9 by Brad Anderson. Oh, yeah. uh, this one's about a group of union workers who are tasked with going into the Danvers Mental Hospital, which uh, did exist up until, I would say, about five, ten years ago. And their their task is to clear it of asbestos so that it can be uh, torn down and or re- repurposed. And... Where the plot goes, I really don't want to say, but the reason why I love this movie so much and it really stands out amongst contemporary horror and contemporary ghost stories is because we have, you know, the James Wan ghost stories, the Scott Derrickson, you know, Sinister, Insidious, The Conjuring, that that kind of really kinetic kind of fun house, uh, haunted house with spring-loaded jump scares and stuff. This one harkens back to The Shining and The Haunting and The Innocence, Turn of the Screw really classic haunted house stories where it's really not about seeing ghosts. It's not about things jumping out. It's about what the walls of this particular house or hospital, what they awaken within the people who are in there um, and uh, just how it, how it exposes our demons as, as people. Um, So it's just, I think a brilliant film, probably along with hereditary uh, the two movies that, deeply unsettle and scare me every time that I watch him. Yeah. With about zero pop out parts. You're absolutely correct. Um, this movie, it blows my mind every time somebody says the 2001 film, because this thing was so ahead of its time. Um, I don't know how you feel, but I feel like a lot of horror movies, especially contemporary, like new stuff nowadays is going more towards the way of like the witch hereditary, a real slow burn, a real artistic. It's not based on jump scares. It's a lot more of an aesthetic and an art, you know, a piece of art that's like gothic or scary. 
that's kind of this. I mean, it's mm-hmm. not in any way, shape, or form boo around the corner. It's like impending doom till the credits roll. And then when the credits roll, you're like, am I free to go now, please? Because this thing has really beat the shit out of me. Yeah, by the time the credits roll, it's it's draining, it's frightening. It, it like my, every, it's one of the only movies I can think of where every time I watch it, and I've seen it, I don't know how many times, but my body just tenses up, especially yeah. as you approach the ending, and you get the revelations that you are waiting for. Like you said, with slow burn, you got to have a payoff, and this one has a great payoff. Yes, absolutely. Uh, great performances, great acting. Um, really. Uh, I believe for its time, really boundary pushing digital cinematography. No, they filmed the hospital, the actual hospital as it pretty much was. There was not a lot of, uh, you know, stage lighting, not a lot of uh, art direction. It pretty much looked like that when that's what's even more unsettling. Yeah. It it kind of was somewhat in the same vein of Blair Witch Project because it kind of had that same lore of idiots like us growing up where we're like, is this real? Or like, because it, you're right. There's a, it really has a quality of like people go in there with just handy cams. I think, I think the like rough digital filming of it kind of leads like an advantage to it because it makes it feel more real. It's not super clean, but that's the point. Um, that's a really that's good point. The, yeah. And, and that's one of the reasons it blows my mind. This thing was Oh one. Cause it just seems like something that, you know, would have came out five, six years ago. Um, if not even sooner or even earlier down the line like uh, it's it's just nuts to me that this thing's almost old enough to drink because it's just so ahead of its time it's so good oh it's so fantastic and you know like like you were saying it just it hasn't aged a bit just a great story with lots of great twists beautifully paced it's i would it's a slow burn but it never drags yeah it doesn't feel slow it doesn't feel slow at all it, do, it does not feel slow um there's there's none of this like sometimes i hear that's what you know, people complain about hereditaries. There's a couple dry spots, which I can admit, but I, I love that movie to death. Um, but yeah, this movie, I, I think session nine is a powerhouse. Um, honestly, I, I'll be honest. Once I knew we were going to re-record this, I almost wanted to put it on my list because I felt stupid leaving it off. Um, but I was like, Robbie mentions it and I'm not going to steal his pick. So <laughs> I'm so glad we got to talk about session nine because it is supremely hate to use the word but underrated because i think a lot more people it's starting to get a cult following because you're not the only person that kind of like has talked to me about it it's starting to get that cult following as well it should because it is it's a it's a powerhouse movie for being 20 years old yeah it's starting to pick up which is wonderful like you know if it's with you know sometimes great movies like burn which Pern and and stuff like that they kind of get lost in the shuffle but session nine is one that i'm thrilled is actually coming back and i'm really heartened to see how many people uh, are recently seeing it or they saw it back in the day and now they're just they're revisiting it again and it's just it deserves that kind of uh uh critical reevaluation. Absolutely it does. Well number four for you was session nine, correct? Yes sir. All right. You ready for my number four? Bring it. In the same vein uh as my number nine, the people under the stairs, this is another movie from a horror legend, Toby Hooper, that not a lot of people talk about but I love this movie so much. It's uh, The Fun House by Toby Hooper. Um, everyone knows Texas Chainsaw. Everyone knows Poltergeist. Um, this one never really gets the respect, in my opinion, it should. I think this thing is awesome. I love Fun House so much. And again, uh, I'll tell you the story. It's it it's a very cut and dry, bare bones story. But 
Toby Hooper always does a very good job of doing so much with so little. Um, and that's not a, you know, slight against uh, the late, great Toby Hooper. Um, that's a good thing because uh, his stuff never feels convoluted. And that's kind of the same here. Again, a bunch of kids, teenagers go to a carnival that's in town. They're in the fun house. And then they kind of like wander off and see a couple of the carnies doing a couple creepy things and witness a murder. And then the carnies find out they saw the murder and the carnies are kind of coming after them. And boy, can I just say how much nightmare fuel I have from that scream when the Frankenstein man takes his mask off and you see what lack of a better term the mongoloid looks like and the scream he gives with his red eyes oh my god it's like it's like perfectly <laughs> high pitch it's so like jarring because you don't see it coming like at all you're just like, like uncomfortably oh. looking around like oh my yes. god what the hell and he's so wet and like snotty and it's like what the fuck am i watching and that's when toby hooper's like yep got you now buddy and just the whole aesthetic of like the fun house and how how creepy carnivals can be. Um, I love everything about this movie. It's a fun ride. It's quick. It's like I said, it's in and out. It doesn't pull any punches. It knows what it is, has great direction. And there's a lot of really memorable scenes. Uh, and again, one of the creepiest protagonists in horror movies in a while in the Frankenstein man. I don't even remember his name, but he, I call him Frankenstein man. He has a name. I cannot remember what it is, but yeah, when you when you see his face, you're like, no, no, put the Frankenstein mask on. Yeah, like, oh Frankenstein mask back on, please. Yeah, because the Frankenstein mask is creepy enough. It's like this like big Frankenstein mask. He's like playing this character, and then he murders one of the other carnies, and then you know, come to find out, the carnies find out the kids saw this guy kill one of the car and so again sounds like a very simple story it is but toby hooper always does so much with so little i.e poltergeist and texas chainsaw massacre again poltergeist well what if a house was built on a cemetery here we go uh texas chainsaw well what if there's a family that ate people and wore their faces skin and used a chainsaw there you go um so rip toby hooper Again, same vein as People Under the Stairs, a great master artiste. Uh, this is probably one that more people need to tune into and probably didn't even know he did if they did see it. Uh, Funhouse is always such a quote-unquote fun ride, pun intended. Yeah, absolutely. This, it's, yeah. It, it's good. It's one of the I'm more... I'm assuming you've oh, sorry, seen yeah. it because... No, I was just going to say, I'm assuming you've seen it because we're talking about it. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, absolutely. No, I mean... In the aftermath of Halloween, and especially uh, Friday the 13th, which was a massive, right-out-the-gate success, um, the early 80s were in a great time for just a bunch of slashers. And a lot of them, honestly, I'm thinking of like Mad Men and stuff like that, they took the wrong lessons from those movies. Yep. The Fun House is one that does it right. Um, and it really takes its time. It builds the characters. It builds the atmosphere of the, the the midway, all the different like seedy aspects of it matched with the kind of fun and kind of carefree attitude. Uh, there's, I think, four uh, protagonists who are kind of observing. And you're just kind of with them for the first 20, 30 minutes, just having a good time, getting their palms red, going to see a magic show. And you're really getting immersed with them. So that by the time that the shit really hits the fan... Uh, you really do feel like you're one with the atmosphere. And that's what Toby Hooper so good at just really getting you, whether it's the suburbs and poltergeist or whether it's yeah. like the, the crotch of Texas in a, in <laughs> Texas chainsaw, you really do feel like, you know, the, there's a tangibility to the atmosphere. Yeah, and I, I want to say to anyone out there who's going to go online and be like, well, Steven Spielberg wrote poltergeist compare poltergeist and that kind of like 
the sheer chaos of the second half match with like the kind of slow burn of the first one and match that against the funhouse it's clearly the same filmmaker yeah it definitely is and again i know stevens like you said he may have wrote it but if he would have directed it we would have got something closer to et or casper something a lot more friendly and toby hooper's like oh no no hold my beer i know what i'm doing i'm gonna i'm gonna throw actual corpses at joe beth williams exactly and then i'm a film a reaction and then you know go from there funhouse again it like you said it takes some of the good things from those early horror slasher movies and again not a high body count and sometimes that's a good thing because like you said when you kind of are invested in the characters it's a lot more terrifying when we just kill off blondie who has her boobs out and has sex and smokes (laughs) weed i don't really care you know she's just like uh, unfortunately like just a pawn in the game or when it's like big jock jerk who is a womanizer and gets killed it's like yeah well, i knew that was coming but when you genuinely care about these people and feel like you have a connection when they're being hunted down by this creature it is so much scarier and it's funhouse is such a it's a great it's a great ride and again in the same vein as people under the stairs it might be his most out there movie I mean, maybe. I don't know. He he does have some out there. Stuff, Life Force? Yeah, I was going to say he does have some out oh there Oh, my stuff. God. What the hell? Yeah. Um, and then Mortuary, which was... Yeah. Uh, anyway. Yeah. He was kind of the first Eli Roth. His greats were great, and his bads were bad. Like, his bads were what? Like, what yeah, the hell? Yeah, his bads were bad. But, but, but we love so him. many great ones that, yeah. you know, he gets a pass. Uh, Definitely. <laughs> Definitely. Um, and with, you know, the Funhouse, every death lands the way that it should because like you said low body count small cast um i think the reason why this one doesn't get talked about in the same vein as like a lot of the early 80s slashes because the video release i remember renting it when i was in high school and the print was so grainy and so bad there's no contrast on dvd uh the cinematography and the filmmaking that toby hooper assembled so beautifully can actually be seen and appreciated for as it was which was a gorgeous looking film yeah i remember you saying that and i never saw it on like vhs so i i had no idea about that but yeah, you wouldn't that, recognize it that would take it all out of it because half half the beauty of the movie is like how beautiful it is yet something so like everyone has fun at the carnival it's supposed to be fun and here 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 we are being hunted down on what's supposed to be a fun friday night you know we can all feel that but when it's like dulled down and like ugly made, it's like I've never seen an ugly carnival like this. There's always bright, fun lights. So, yeah, I could definitely see why that would hinder it. Yeah, you look at any carnival for too long and you start to see uh, the seams, you know, which is Absolutely. very, that's unnerving in and of itself. Absolutely. I, I never get on those rides because I'm like, mm, I don't know if I trust that guy to put those screws in. That, right yeah, now. especially when it's a traveling carnival. I, I always yeah. get kind of, I'm always like, this is it. This is the I'm last there one. I'm for the funnel cake, bro. Like, I'm here for the funnel cake and food. <laughs> <laughs> the chili dogs and all that yeah, stuff exactly the Oreos, yeah, yeah. Whatever, gives, whatever gives me bigger man boobs that's what <laughs> I'm here so that is my number four funhouse you got anything else on funhouse or oh, I'm so, I, I haven't I, I haven't gotten over the man boobs um <laughs> I, i'm uh, <laughs> i'm good um no that was it for the funhouse for me all right well we'll move on from my man boobs in the funhouse um, <laughs> you're number three robbie i love it um so but my number three is uh, from 2002. <clears throat> this is May by Lucky McKee. Yes, love May. Great film. This is about 
a veterinary assistant who just, her name's May, of course. She has a long history of kind of bullying and isolation. She grew up with a, uh, a lazy eye. She wore an eye patch. Um, grew up without really any friends or much human connection. Her only uh, kind of friend is this porcelain doll that resembles her. And she projects a lot of her insecurity and rage onto this doll and has full-on conversations with her. And we meet May in this film, like at a turning point in her life where she's trying to branch out, find a relationship. She uh, starts dating Jeremy Sisto. She has a thing with Anna Faris uh, in the film. And uh, like it doesn't, none, none of it quite works. So the film is, it's a character study, a very uncomfortably kind of dark comedy. And then it takes a turn into Frankenstein territory because yes. uh, as you see in this film, if you cannot, find the love of your life, the person who understands you, then you should probably make one. Yeah, just build it. And man, this movie is so early 2000s. It's like dripping with that nostalgia and it's beautifully shot. It's so creative. It's so original. I'll be honest, like I never really tuned into it because every time I'd go to the video store, like the main poster and the cover of it made it look like kind of like an alien movie. In fact, I'll be honest, I always thought it was... um, I always thought it was Brittany Murphy on the cover. It always looks like an alien Brittany Murphy to me. Um, and I never picked it up because I've never been a big sci-fi guy. So I never picked it up. And just one day, um, my wife was telling me, like, hey, we should watch this movie, May. Have you ever seen it? And I was like, no, I'm not into sci-fi. She's like, it has nothing to do with sci-fi. And I turned around. I was like, holy shit, I've missed out this long on it because I was ignorant and pretentious and didn't read what this fucking thing was about. But, yeah, it's like – a. In all honesty, like Robbie was saying, if the 2000s um, bloggers wrote Frankenstein, here it is. And it's just beautifully shot. There's so many great actors and actresses in this thing. And there's so many twists and turns that are great. And the fact that I love that she like just focuses on, like especially the man crush she has, all she focuses on is the hands and like the way he smokes cigarettes and like everything like that. And then at the end, you know, she is taking the hands and starting to make what's, you know, her perfect lover. It's almost like reverse bride of Frankenstein. Um, she's her own like social outcast and she's going to make her social outcast to uh, fall in love with. It's, it's a phenomenal movie. It's great. It's so, it's such a fun ride. It's so original. And again, you know, growing up around that time, it's just dripping with nostalgia of like the late nineties, early two thousands movies. Definitely. And Angela Bettis uh, plays later on. She is just, wonderful she embodies this role so well like down to the marrow so you just believe in this character you feel for her but you're also very very terrified of her and uh the film builds to you know again no spoilers but it builds to one of the greatest most breathtaking endings that you will see in a horror film ever i I can i can stand by that is very good and it's like i said it's it's very original i still haven't even seen anything like you know in the last like 20 years that I would find as original as this story. It's, it's, it's very good. I, I, it's kind of hard to describe um, again, because like without giving stuff away, you know, um, just know that I kicked myself uh, for not seeing this movie long ago, um, just because I thought it was some type of sci-fi movie from the cover. It's not people. Well, in in fairness, the the cover is very, it doesn't sell it well at all. It, It doesn't. And like I said, I thought it was Brittany Murphy to be honest with you. It looked like alien Brittany Murphy. Um, cause she's like green and like it, I don't know. The cover doesn't really do it justice at all. To be honest, um, it has nothing to do with the movie. She's never green in the damn movie. Um, but it's, 
It, it's a great movie. If you haven't seen this thing, you are totally missing out. Yeah, it's it's a masterpiece in my opinion for sure. I agree. I also like just the whole look of the main character. Uh, you just said the actress's name. What was it again? Uh, Angela Bettis. That's what it was. Angela Bettis. Yeah. She just, and I don't mean this in a rude way, but she just has this very distinct look and like these eyes, these eyes that just look through you, man, she, she sells it so great. So you're absolutely right. Um, love may, um, I'm pr- man, I'm just in the mood to watch may now. Like I just, <laughs> after this podcast ends, I'll probably turn it on. Cause it's a great movie. So good. Yeah, well, that's number three for you, and it's a great pick at number three. You ready for mine? Oh, yeah. This one, I put it high on my list. I'm a little worried because almost like Session 9, it's really gaining a cult following. Um, So it may be a little more popular than I'm giving it credit for, um, but it is. it follows. Um, Love this movie. Um, We're talking about original films. Boom, here you go. I mean, I've seen so many fan theories on what it represents, what's going on with it, what what does it mean? And like the ambigu the ambiguous nature of the curse, I was proven wrong because the very first time I watched this movie, uh, I was like, I liked it, but my biggest critique is I want to know why the curse is there and where it came from. Um, and then I sat down and had a really good conversation with somebody and they convinced me otherwise, um, that the beauty is in the ambiguity. Um, the fact that you don't know where this curse comes from makes a better film. And I was like, you know what? You're actually right. Like it, it would have cheapened it if we would have known where it's from. But again, it follows, uh, follows these kids and it is literally a curse that is passed on after you have sex with somebody. So, um, there's this young lady, she has sex with her newly boyfriend and he explains the curse like, hey, they're going to come for you. Don't trust anybody that looks like you. They're trying to kill you. The only way to pass on is to have sex with somebody. And that's really how it kind of just jumps in. Um, besides like a beautiful, amazing, like first three minutes, so creepy and so tone setting of that one uh, girl who gets in her car and drives away and is sitting on the beach just falling apart, crying. And then with the headlights on, and she is terrified and just worn down and just has nothing left and then boom a harsh cut and now it's daytime and she is just bent into a square like just demolished and you're like what the hell and then here we go it jumps into it yeah so it's really like a sexually transmitted curse and it it, it's it's very good uh i i'm kind of speaking weird on it but it's kind of a weird movie in a great way it's so low budget this movie proves like you don't need $10 million to make a great movie. All you need is direction and a good idea and some good writing and some solid acting. And here you go. There's some very memorable scenes in this. Um, uh, majority of it deals with like the, you know, graphic nudity of the naked people following them or like the naked dude just stand on top of the house. That was a little <laughs> off putting for some reason. I don't know. It's just kind of weird to see this naked ass man stand on this house and, in the morning you know i i just always think like i'd be the neighbor next door as they're filming and i'm just drinking coffee i'm like man it's too early like, it's, <laughs> it's too early to see that man like it's on. the uncanniness of it like every yeah, time exactly. you see the the demon in one form or another and by the way I, I think i agree this is one of the great horror films of the last 10 years mm-hmm. easily it's one of the like defining horror movies of the last decade um and it's just a brilliant concept um it's something you know, we're always craving originality in horror films. This is original, uh, sexually transmitted haunting, and just the way that it unfolds and the way that the rules are kind of dropped to you uh, in one scene. And then beyond that, this, you know, girl who's now been infected with this curse, 
is constantly looking over her shoulder, trying to find a way to logically get out of this. And so you're you're like her. You're always watching the background. Um, there's a great scene where she is looking up information about the guy who passed it on to her, and the mm-hmm. camera's spinning. And every time it turns around, there's a go. There's someone or something that is constantly moving towards the camera. And yep. just by virtue of where this person is walking from, it just it doesn't look right. No, um, and no. you just know, and she's not aware of it. So the whole time you're just like, Oh my God, someone turn around, please. Yeah. It's like, turn um, around, turn around. And that's the other thing. They're not, always, they're not always butt ass naked. Sometimes they're not. It's just, sometimes they are. They're not always um, butt ass naked, but it's whenever you do see it, it, the, the actor who plays the ghost in that incarnation and what they're wearing and where they are, none of it makes sense. Which no. is exactly the point. It's supposed yeah. to be. It, it's supposed to stand out like a sore thumb. Like that's yeah, just and, wrong. And that's like the scariest thing too. Is like only the person infected can see it. So like her friends, you know, going back to what we were talking about with the entity, they they can't like believe her. You know what I mean? How crazy is this sound? And that's the demise of one of the people she passes it on to. Is he just thinks it's his mom beating on the door? He's like, "What do you want?" And no, it wasn't his mom. You know, so that's that's a great. That's a great scene. Or the big man in the hallway. That's probably the most terrifying scene. Oh, that um, one. I, yes. I I jumped out of my, my seat when yes, I saw it. That 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 one was very terrifying. It's not very boo around the corner, but when it uses it, it's terrifying. Because, again, it's just these things that ne- it's it never stops until you pass it along. And then the ending is just so beautifully ambiguous. And like we were talking about with the camera shot, it's literally just the camera following behind the two. And you're like. Is this the person behind him about to get him? Well, you don't know. It cuts to the credits. So I I love It Follows. I think it's phenomenal. I My first watching, I'll be honest, I was like, I don't really get what all the hype was about. And then the more I sat down and thought about it and rewatched it, I was like, okay, now I do. I think I'm getting it now. I think the first time I was expecting it to be a lot more like boo scary, like insidious or something like that. And it just wasn't. And so it kind of was off-putting to me, and I just never really got into it. And I thought it was okay. I thought the acting was good. I thought cinematography was great. I thought the direction was great. It just wasn't speaking to me. And then once I kind of sat down, like I said, had that conversation with one of my good friends who was like, no, the point is the ambiguity. Once I kind of mm-hmm. looked at through that lens, man, what a beautifully powerful film it was. And I was like, okay, now I'm getting it. Now I'm looking at it in the angle it needs to be looked at. Yeah, it really clips along at very much its own pace, its own yep. its own kind of rhythm. There's a wistfulness to it. There's like a nostalgia for an era that doesn't exist because if you know the what's brilliant about the art direction is that the film takes place in what seems to be the it could be today it could have been the 80s. Yeah. There's there's technology that just doesn't exist. Like there's like a seashell, re, like a almost like a Kindle and a it just stuff that just doesn't it none of it fits and you know there's also very few adult characters they're in yeah. the movie but they're very very perfunctory mm-hmm. uh to kind of highlight the isolation that the kids are going through this is their story yep. the thing is preying on them specifically and just by excluding any kind of police interference or any kind of adults you really do feel their sense of isolation and paranoia and it really takes those old school slasher tropes like carpenter and that kind of suburban milieu and really subverts it in a way that's just incredibly clever. Yeah, it's, it's great. I, I think maybe it was you I was talking to about, um, so the two biggest theories I've heard on this movie are one, 
It's a commentary on sexually transmitted diseases, which I think is the most obvious one. Um, but I think it was you that brought it to my attention. If it wasn't, I apologize, but you'll still get the credit for being a smart, amazing guest. Hence why you're on. <laughs> um, it, is that it's a study on like the death of innocence and like becoming an adult. Was that you telling that, me? That was that me. Story? Yeah. Just, yeah, yeah. I knew the passage of time, story. the, uh, the, just having the decay of old age and just life perpetually walking towards you and there's nothing you can do yep. about it. And you're and, always looking over your shoulder. And, um, you know, when we first see the character of Jay, who is Maika Monroe, that's our, our lead female, we just see her kind of floating in this pool and she's yep. just so she's looking up at the sky and not a care in the world. And that night her life changes and she's, she has to start making resourceful, responsible decisions that will uh, end up sparing her. And that's, I really think that the film is, it's, you know, it can be read as sexual as STDs, which you know, that's yeah. probably the most um, obvious and valid. It's certainly valid it's way to look at it, but I feel like there's a deeper yeah. meaning to it. I agree. And I think that kind of gets back to the point that you were saying, there's like no adults here. You know what I mean? It's almost like a purgatory state of like death of innocence yeah. to adulthood. They're on their own in this one. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's half the beauty of it. You know, it's very stranger thing esque. You know what I mean? Except they're a little older. It's like, where the hell are the parents here? You know what I mean? And it's just, it's a phenomenal movie. That's why it made number three for me. It's original. It's fun. There's so many great theories about it. So I, I love It Follows. So it's number three for me. Um, you got anything else on It Follows? No, it's a masterpiece. Yes, it surely is. What is your number two, my good friend? My number two is from 2011. This is The Innkeepers by Ty West. And this takes place actually in Torrington, Connecticut. Connecticut is my home state. And usually Connecticut is portrayed as, you know, woods and lakes, which there is some of that, but it's nice to see a film that kind of embraces the small town feeling that we have in upstate Connecticut. Um, and it takes place at a, a real life inn called the Yankee Peddler. And it's about uh, this version of the Yankee Peddler that it's closing, like, you know, within a few days. And these two bumbling, fumbling, you know, uh, front desk employees are obsessed with ghost stories and with ghost hunting. And they say to themselves, you know what? There's over a century of ghosts in this hotel. We know that they're there. Let's start, let's start just ghost hunting before they tear this place down and enter a actress who also doubles as a spiritual guide. And she kind of imparts to the, the lead female in this, that there is a that there's a danger to staying in the hotel and the movie is as Ty West is want to do. It's a very, very slow burn. Um, some really great slapsticky humor, but it builds to a finale that just kind of takes off the guardrails and it just goes and it's, it's worth every second. And the, the lead up to it is also wonderful, it, especially on a second time where you know where it's heading. Um, but it's just one of the more enjoyable ghost stories of the last I'd say 10, 20 years. I, I, I love this movie. Ty West always does such a good job. And like all of his friends that do it, they do such a good job of like just making like low key bangers as the TikTok generation would say, you know, that makes me feel so old. But like, <laughs> you know, VHS, they're the people that have their hands in VHS and, you know, um, this movie and maybe another movie coming up on my list, uh, you know, spoiler alert. Um, but yeah, Ty West and all of his friends, I, I always say his name wrong, but it's Joe Sw Swamba? Sw uh, Swamberg. Swamberg. Like, yeah, yeah they, they always do such great stuff. And 
again, they have such a, their best aspect is like their humor. It's so authentic. Like it is not like forced in any way, shape or form. Like their humor is so like genuine. It's character based. Um, it, it very well is. Yes. And anything Ty West is very good. I saw this movie a long time ago. Um, cause I do remember the cover of it. I haven't rewatched it and I meant to because you spoke so highly of it and I kind of remember it generally, but I don't remember the twist at the end or like how it resolved itself. So I'd be interested to go back and watch it because it's not like I hated it. I just I just honestly don't remember it because I watched it like when it first hit Netflix like years ago. So I, I just need to rewatch it. And like you said, maybe I'll like respark um, my interest or like what happens and I'll pick up on more of it. But yeah, I, I, I'm excited to rewatch this thing. Well, yeah, in the age of, uh, of you know, James Wan again and, like, Lee Whannell, as far as ghost stories go, this is more, a lot more on the quaint side and very simple. does not build, like, some sort of massive crescendo. Um, it's much more low-key and much more, I think, grounded. And I think that's why I prefer it to a lot of these other uh, similar films because it just it feels so much more, as you said, kind of authentic and more yeah. grounded in some sort of reality. And I think when you watch it again, you'll – you'll appreciate it more this this time i'm sure i will i mean again i'm a big fan of ty west and joe whenever they do like anything and so i i, I definitely need to check it out again because in all honesty maybe i didn't pay enough heart hard attention because i didn't know it was a ty west movie so if anything that's just a reason for me to double back and look at it so but i wish i could give you more on it i just don't specifically remember it i do remember enjoying it i just don't remember the details on it to be honest besides the poster i love the poster it's the one with the keys like mm -hmm. all the buildings look like keys and it's like a real green and dark looking cover and there, correct? And there might may or may not be a specter on the on the cover as well ah okay cool yeah yeah i do i do remember that cover and that's one of the reasons that drug me into it because the cover was so great so i just gotta rewatch it i mean who knows maybe i smoked too much weed and I <laughs> just, <laughs> do, I just do a double know. feature of uh the innkeepers and his i think the film came out two years before which is house of the devil another oh, he, fantastic he devil? oh yeah oh yeah, my he's, gosh he's man. great at the slow burn yeah, I didn't know he did. Man, I see. I know of Ty West and stuff. I just I didn't know he did House of the Devil. That's awesome. So that's, geez, man, I'm slipping on here. Maybe you, you know what? I'm retiring. Robbie's taking over my. No. <laughs> I clearly don't know what the hell I'm doing. Here no, 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 no. Host. But, we're, we're here. Yeah. We're here to exchange that that kind of information for sure. <laughs> so the innkeepers is number two for you. Yes, you sir. For my number two. Oh sir? yeah. This is done by one of my favorite horror directors he's only done two which really pains me but i understand why because he's not going to do anything unless he has a massively great idea with strong strong direction it's sean burns um and this is the loved ones the devil's candy made my top 10 horror movies but man the loved ones oh man you gotta see this movie it is brutal this movie is brutal and it's an australian film it is it does not go where you think it's going. It literally opens up with this uh, car accident that happens. Um, a young teen, I shouldn't say a young teenager, a teenager loses his father. Um, it's the night of the prom and he's going to go to prom. Uh, and he doesn't rudely put this girl down when she asks. He, he is actually pretty nice about it. And he's like, oh, no, no, uh, I can't. I'm going with somebody and he's not mean or anything about it. But her and her dad kidnap him and begin to torture him in this twisted prom they're throwing at their house. It is a brutal movie, but it is so beautiful. 
It is so unique and original. And Sean Byrne, man, he he doesn't stop for cigarettes. He's like jumping. Like I said it before, he's jumping right into it. It's a short movie. It's like an hour 20, maybe even shorter than that. And kind of like we were talking about with anything for Jackson, it does a really good job of like almost kind of nonlinear telling the story because the callback to the car accident is really creative. Um, it's a great storytelling, but man, some brutal torture scenes in this thing. Have you seen the loved ones? I, I have seen it many, many times and I love this movie yes. so much. Um, it's really, it's like a mixture of Carrie and pretty in pink and Texas Chainsaw Massacre. That is a great way. It's just, you know, and it's so, you know, this is around the time when it was really about the BTK films like Hostel and Saw. And I think this one does something with the formula that's really, it's first of all, it's got a great sense of humor, like dark humor, um, particularly with, uh, Lola and her father who are just twisted and yet you cannot get enough of them. Mm -hmm. Um, Robin McLevy in particular, who plays Lola is just, her performance is so iconic. It deserves to be more iconic than it is. And that's what this list is for. Um, why she's not in the vernacular of great horror villains. I don't know. Um, but she should be, uh, but it's just a great story. And, And it's oddly, funny in in one respect but also weirdly empowering um yes. which usually these films are kind of like oh god like just you know ended already like you know the our main character is getting just fucked over that for most of it but um you know without spoilers it's like where it goes it's um it's just a very cathartic watch and it's it is it's so good it's very much so and i yeah the btk stuff was going on this one does a good job of showing some and then doing a really good job of like camera angles one of the most brutal scenes in it to me, you don't even really see it because it's where they're taking a power drill and drilling into his forehead lightly. And you're not seeing the drill go into his head, but it's cut onto like the hand using the power drill and the dad staring very hard. And you just see the smoke coming up from his skull. And like, that's like the restraint that Hostel and Saw doesn't have to make it a beautiful movie. And it's literally just about watching the most. And you, up and you care about that. You care about him. Yeah. You know, you yep. know what he's gone through and you want him to make it out. You want him to find, because when we meet this character, um, yes, like you said, his father has passed away in a car accident that he feels responsible for. So he's kind of like lost his will to live. Um, yeah, he's at an extremely point. low point. And when he gets kidnapped, you're like, well, fuck. Um, but it's about, you're, you're with him in that chair for an hour or so, and you're just watching him. Uh, you're watching him attempt to climb out of it. And it's just a great, a great story, which you would not expect from a movie of this kind. Usually it's yeah. not about the story. It's about like how, how many ways can we slice off a finger? You know, it's like, um, yeah. but it's a really fantastic movie. And like you said, only about 80 something minutes long does not feel short and it doesn't feel long. It's no. really well mapped out. No, and yeah, you're absolutely right. And again, it's how much more effective are the torture scenes when you give a shit? You know, it's like we were talking about with Funhouse, you know, and some of the early slasher stuff. When you get to know a character and stuff, it's that much more effective. Sean Byrne, man, like I, 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 I joke about it a lot, but I wish he listened to this podcast and I would love to have him on and like pick his brain because this one and The Devil's Candy, mm-hmm. these things are such great movies and they're two totally different movies. Um, they're so phenomenal and he does such a good job with his films. I, I don't know if he doesn't want to make movies anymore. Or he just hasn't, you know, 
thought of a good enough idea that he wants to put out there or he just hasn't had the funding but somebody give this guy some money so he can make more horror movies it's a damn shame that such a talented director like i hope that he's got something coming down the pike yeah um he deserves it because devil's candy was like what 2016 or something it was it was quite it was yeah Four, About five, five years, years ago, ago, yeah, and just I haven't heard anything. So I, I hope he's still making movies uh, and at least you know pursuing it because he is man, he is so good in everything he does. So yeah, the loved ones and it's number two on my list. If anything, just for the song because you will never get it out of your head. Am I not pretty enough? <laughs> oh my word! You will not get it out of your head. It is perfectly <laughs> melodically evil, and it fits Lola so perfectly. And she's so cold. Like you said, she does such a good job of being just a cold heart bitch and not caring. And man, it's man. This movie's so good. If you haven't seen this thing, we're almost done here. As soon as we wrap up, turn this off and go watch the loved ones. Cause it's such a quick one and it, it, it will not disappoint you. I think, th- I think on my list, this is probably the movie. Like I think everyone would like pretentious assholes like myself, like it. And then like people who are into like the BTK stuff like it. So it's, it's the most vastly done movie. So I, in my opinion, so I think it's probably the one like everyone listening to this podcast would like. Agreed. I think there's something in it for every type of horror fan. Exactly. And same with devil's candy. In my opinion, I, man, yeah. I, I spoke to how much I love that movie. I mean, hell that thing cracked my top 10 favorite. I fucking love that movie so much. Um, but anyways, uh, we'll move right along. Uh, we're on your number one, aren't we, sir? We're on the finale for me. Oh, um, man. The- roll, please. <laughs> this is the most recent film on my list. This is uh, from 2014. This is Housebound by Gerard Johnstone. Um, this is from New Zealand for a little bit of a Kiwi kind of haunted house movie. It's about a young woman who is arrested for attempted robbery. She's sentenced to six months of house arrest with her uh, um, her doting mother and her stepfather, neither of whom she can stand. And it comes to light that when she was younger, she believed that the house was haunted. And whatever the presence was has kind of laid dormant over that time. Now that she's back, things start getting kicked up again. And so along with her mother, they're trying to figure out what the hell is happening. And did someone die there? What like what's the history of the house and uh, are in again she has this kind of a foot brace she cannot leave the property without being arrested so um, that's where the uh, the caveat comes in um, first of all one of the few horror movies recently that is funny and scary in equal measure um, it's just a great great thrill ride um, hilariously funny and the the kiwi humor kind of comes in because. Uh, my understanding about uh, the Kiwis is that, number one, there's this kind of notion amongst – this is not not from my opinion. This is just what they've said, that they're generally out of touch when it comes to pop culture and what's current. And mm-hmm. by the same token, they had a power grid outage, I think, in the late 80s. So the whole idea that they're just – when it comes to technology and electricity, they're kind of generally hopeless – Um, When you have a haunted house movie where there's lights coming on and off and all these technical glitches that play, it it all just plays really beautifully into each other. And it's, it's a ghost story wrapped in a mystery wrapped in a comedy of manners. And for once, for once, every single thing that they address in the first half has a really satisfying payoff, um, which does not happen these days. Um, And by the end, it's uh, just a fantastic movie that similar to loved ones i can't imagine anyone seeing this and not being like i need to watch that again 
I I dearly apologize to my great friend Robbie. Um, I promised him I would watch this, and I still haven't. So I really hate myself right now. Um, one what? because I probably sound horrible on this because I'm kind of sick. But yeah, I still haven't watched it, man. I it's on Shutter, I think. I have to watch it because I am such a fan of Kiwi humor. I love what we do in the shadows. I love Fly of the Conqueror. Yes. I remember when we first recorded this, I was like, how the fuck have I not heard of this? Or like, no one's told me to watch this. How, how have I not heard this? And people, that's why I bring Robbie on here. He knows. Um, I have failed him. Uh, again, <laughs> this is why I've retired and given him my podcast. He'll be giving you the lo- I'll give him the logins and he'll be giving you the welcome in Scream Queens and Horror Queens <laughs> intro from now on. Uh, but I... I am so sorry because I the passion you have for this movie um, is palpable, and I you you and I have very similar tastes, so it's very surprising to me. I didn't like as soon as we got off, go jump on and watch it. So I have to do it. I'm just going to force myself to watch it tomorrow. That's exactly what I'm doing. I'm just going to watch Housebound. As soon as I do, I will write your new host of Killing Time, Robbie, and let him know how much I enjoy it because I know I will. Aubrey, my friend, you are in for a great treat. You will love this one. I I cannot wait. I, I, I've i seen the poster, and it's very – I think that's one of the reasons I didn't watch it is because I thought it leaned way, way, way more comedy. Like it was meant to be very Tucker and Dale or Zombiever-ish just no, from the poster. No, no, yeah. So the fact that you're like saying, no, it's not like that. It is funny, but it's not like that really – really has me excited to see it and again I, I i have failed my great guest robbie so he probably won't come on and do screen breakdown or anything like that because i failed him no no I, i'm actually feeling really really forgiving tonight so it's all good okay it's good, all good, good as good, long as you good. watch it soon <laughs> I, I definitely will i i'm definitely gonna watch it this weekend for sure um you know i i have a wedding to go to and maybe i'll just miss it just to watch this movie because you know i'd say it's worth it yeah, I was gonna say it's still hot, so I don't really want to wear a tie. So um, <laughs> you're gonna I, love it. I, I promise. W- I wish I had more to give on it. Um, do you have anything else uh, while you got the floor for this movie that you want to, you know, uh, fangirl about? Not one it? bit. I, I would say just avoid any spoilers. Um, yes, the the film poster leans heavily towards one genre. It's like a family portrait with a, a mm-hmm. ghost wrapped in a sheet in the background. Um, don't take that too much art. There's there's a darkness to the film. It's also hilariously funny, and where it goes, I I dare not even go near it because it's it's too good of a of a you know reveal. Well, awesome. I'm definitely gonna have to check that out. So, um, number one uh, for Robbie is it's called Housebound, correct? Housebound. Housebound. Ah, I'm gonna put it on my list and quit failing him. <laughs> Sir, are you ready for my number one? Let's do it, man. Hey, well, <laughs> thank you for the drum roll. Hey, um, so we were talking about Ty West. Um, he didn't do this movie, but he acts in this movie. Um, I'll be honest. I love this movie so very much. It is so it's kind of in the same vein as you're talking about with Housebound. It, it is a horror movie and it's like a survival thing, but it is funny. But it's not like as funny as like ready or not. It's not there's funny parts, but it's not that funny. It leans more dark. It's It's a beautiful blend of like real natural humor comedy and like just a survival horror and invasion movie and fun fact probably one of the reasons i'm super partial to it is it was filmed in my hometown of columbia missouri um and it's your next i love your next yes so much i love your next um again everything about this movie i love the twist you get in the middle of the movie like usually you don't get that and you get an amazing twist in the middle 
Um, there's so much creepy stuff in it. The mask the invaders wear are just so beautifully simple and creepy as all hell. And man, this is just a fun ride all the way through. The humor in it with Joe and Ty is so effortlessly like natural. It does not feel forced. It almost feels like they're just ad-libbing, going back and forth. And they probably are because they're very talented people and very funny in their own right. Um, everything about this movie is great. It's funny. There's some brutal kills. Um, you know, we talk about 2018 Halloween. We love that Laurie Strode's a fu- like the badass coming for the killers. Well, this movie definitely did that first because the main female is like, she's coming for them. She's not trying to run. She's coming for these invaders and like killing them off too. So it's, it's very good. It's very much kind of in the same vein of like ready or not kind of, it's just not as funny as ready or not. It's a little more darker than ready or not. It's a little more grittier and that type of thing. Um, I love it. Uh, pretty much real simple story. Um, I'm not going to get too much into it. Cause again, the, tw- the big twist reveals like in the middle, which is really cool. Um, uh, it's about a family. They go to a house and they're having a family dinner to just kind of reconcile and everything like that. And just, you know, try. they're all old. There's no young people here. They're all old and grown adults and they're just trying to reconnect as a family. And then during family dinner, invaders come in. They're killing people with crossbows. They're killing people with machetes. They're breaking in. No one knows why until about halfway through the movie, and it's a great reveal. And then there's another great twist at the end that I will not give away. This movie's so much fun. Uh, Robbie cheered when I said it, so I will let him take the floor on your next. I, I'm sure you've seen this movie. I've seen it. I saw it in theaters and love it. And I think that it got kind of a bum rap when it was first released just because I think people expected it to be a lot more straightforward. I think that yeah. the uh, – I want to say – the straight it was reminding people of the strangers and like this kind of like yes, pitch black so. yeah. home invasion tour it's not that at all it's got it's a lot more uh tone variation throughout it's it's very very funny it's also deathly serious in parts it's mm-hmm. got this it's a hybrid of dark comedy meets family drama meets uh slasher meets home invasion there's a lot of stuff going on somehow well it's not somehow it's just great direction um, by Adam Wingard, and it's just That's so nice. Adam, Wingard. Adam Wingard, yeah, and it's so well done. Um, great scripts, great reveals. Um, like you said, it, you get twists where you're not accustomed to getting them. Yeah, um, it has a great, great female lead, probably the most badass female lead since yes. Sydney Prescott. Yeah, um, in that she's extremely competent, which the killers are not ready for, and yes. it actually makes it much more of an equal playing field because she's she's a the characters, yeah, I don't, I don't want to go into it, but um, yeah. uh, that's Sharni Vincent, who is a uh, Australian actress, and she's wonderful in it. Um, the shot of her like looking out of a window holding an axe is instantly iconic, yeah. uh, and in general, just a great cast. Like you've got some horror filmmakers like uh, Amy Simons in the cast, Ty West, Joe Swanberg, all of whom are just happen to be really good actors as well. And you have mm-hmm. uh, li- like legends like Larry Fassenden and uh, Barbara Crampton, who was in like reanimator and chopping yep. mall as the, as the matriarch of the family. And so just on every single level, you have really accomplished people who are doing something really unique and they pull it off so well. I think it's a great film that again, like a lot of the other ones on this list deserve another look because people thought they were going to be something else that they were not and uh, go back and see the movie for what it was trying to do. 
Yeah, exactly. And I'll be honest, like half the time when I tell people, I think I'm just being like a home, a homebody because I'm, like I said, it was filmed in my hometown. But whenever I bring it up to people, like, oh no, fuck no, I love that movie. It's so good. And I'm like, thank God, because I always feel I'm being a homebody for it. But man, I I champion this movie everywhere I go. I'm, and I'm with you. Like a lot, the only people that were disappointed are the people that were like, oh, I want more like invasion BTK, like strangers type of stuff. I like that it went that direction and that the trailer totally fooled you. Hell, the first 40 minutes of the movie fools you. You don't see it go in this direction. It is a wild, crazy ride in the best sense of saying that. And there, there's still some brutality in this movie. Do not do not get that. Oh, yeah. It, 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 yeah. It's it's great. I I love your next. It's it has a special place in my heart again, and I will not deny it um, for that reason of being filmed here in Columbia um but yeah i i love that movie i probably watch it like once every other month because i just love everything about it and the humor is just so funny and like just the family dynamic and the twists are so good and the brutality and the performances and just everything about it is phenomenal yeah totally it works like a charm um you wouldn't expect all these different genres and kind of uh rhythms and tones to kind of go all together but it really does and that's what it's it definitely stands out, even though it, on the surface it seems like it's going to be very straightforward. There's a lot of personality to this one. Oh yeah, it's very it's its own thing. Um, that's that's a great point. Um, yeah, check out your next if you haven't seen it. Don't watch the trailer because it's not going to do justice to the movie at all. And I think that was the point. I think Adam Wingard laughed the whole way to the bank uh, once he got people to sit down <laughs> and watch this crazy beautiful movie. <laughs> Well, Robbie, I mean, man, we've been going for like two hours, man. I enjoy talking to you so much. Likewise, um, man. Like I said, I wasn't feeling great, but once we got into it, man, we just killed it. I I appreciate you taking time out. I know we killed it the first time, and we had some technical difficulties, and that had nothing to do with you or I. So you taking time out again to come on here and spend two hours with me, man, incredibly humbled. Love having It's my you pleasure, here, man. man. I love it. Yeah, and you are definitely going to come back for Scream. We can fit Hell yeah. somewhere. Um, but again, since it's been such a long podcast, please plug your Instagram and website one last time before I sign us off. Sure thing. At, on Instagram at Robbie, R-O-B-B-Y underscore horror. Uh, you can follow me, please, and you know, shoot me. If you, if you want to uh, request any films for me to review, just send me a DM. Uh, also, Robbie Horror, all one word, dot com for my website. Awesome. He's he's a beautiful, beautiful soul, man, and I enjoy talking Likewise, to him very much. Um, actually, you know what? I forgot. Let's recap our films. We did 10 of them. Yes, People yeah. are probably like, fuck, I forgot what they were. Yeah. I'll go. <laughs> All right, so let's go. So the honorable mentions are uh, The Old Dark House, Witchfinder General, The Brood, Just Before Dawn, Curtains, Pin, The Mothbane Prophecies, Sunshine, and They Look Like People. Now, the list proper is... Peeping Tom, Burn Witch Burn, a.k.a. Night of the Eagle, Lisa and the Devil, The Entity, Night of the Creeps, Cherry Falls, Session 9, May, uh, The Innkeepers, and Housebound. So my my 10, um, number 10 is The Voices with Ryan Reynolds, great movie. Uh, number 9 is People Under the Stairs. Number 8 is Suspiria. Um, number seven is the empty man. Number six is anything for Jackson. Number five is repulsion. Number four is the fun house. Number three is it follows. 
Number two is the loved ones. And number one is your next. Well, again, people. Brava. He's not going to be a stranger. He's going to be on here as much as he wants to come on because it's just natural for us. We enjoy each other's company and talking. So, Robbie, great friend and at this point, family of the show. So, thank well, you thanks, very man. much again for coming on, man. It's 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 one hundred percent my pleasure, man. Thank you, and thank you to everyone who uh, who listened to this episode. Yeah, it's you know uh, we were talking about the empty man stuff being a marathon. This is a good marathon again. <laughs> we gave you a lot of insight on some movies you guys need to check out. Um, but other than that, you know, there's only really one thing I need to say to my audience, and it's my cringy sign off of stay scary, people. <laughs> <laughs>